New to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com what? When the glass breaks and you see all the what signs pop up, you know, that's a blast. What? I think it's, it's the ultimate response, sarcastic response. What? The, the reason it started was I was traveling, traveling by myself. For some reason, Deborah wasn't with me and I was bored as hell. So I figured I'd give old Christian a call. What? What? He happened to get my voicemail and left about a 15-minute message. In that message was where the what originated. What? So I started talking on his answer machine, and every time I said a sentence, I'd kind of go like, What? What? Well, I can't remember what he was talking about. He was babbling on about something else, and he goes, And right now I'm passing a rest stop. What? I said a rest stop. What? What? And I kind of started ringing a, a little bell in my head. I said, Oh, maybe I'm onto something here. It's unbelievable that it came from a voice message to this to the biggest thing in sports entertainment. What? 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 If you're talking to a stupid person, it's what? He was playing games with Kurt Angle at that time, and he was like, "What?" And nobody likes Kurt Angle because he's a whiner. What? The fact that Angle hates it is even that much better. This is all Austin's fault. Making up this stupid catchphrase. Quite frankly, it gets on my nerves. Stop it! I can't even talk now. It sucks. What? 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 I mean, they're making Kurt Angle mute. I hope it dies tomorrow. Still pretty fresh. I don't know how long it's going to last. He says what to me all the time because I really he can't hear. What? My favorite what moment would have to be Steve started messing with Stephanie with what? Stone Cold kind of uh, came up from behind Stephanie McMahon Helmsley and busted her when she was uh, talking trash about him. And uh, she was in mid-sentence all of a sudden he goes, Here, he's in the room. She just threw a tantrum and ran out. Favorite what moment? I guess it was caught me by surprise when we went to, uh, back to Madison Square Garden. You know, the girl starts singing the national anthem before the show, and then every time she pauses, the people start in with, What? Steve Austin is probably the only guy that ma- that could make this what chant what it is, and uh, it's because he is who he is. Yes, 
WWE filmed that many years ago. Yes, Steve Austin does not wrestle anymore. But if you pretended that WWE never came out with that original What DVD back in 2002, 2002, if you pretended that that video was never released and they decided to film a little segment for the WWE Network right now about the origins of what? You could take that entire segment, do it word for word, and it would not feel outdated. It's amazing how that is held up. And yes, there are other chants and other reactions that crowds make that still stand up to this day. Look, somebody ch- chops someone and you hear everyone do the Ric Flair. Woo! The Yes chant is going to be with us for probably ever. So it's just amazing how that what chant has held up after all of these years. And the reason why I mention it is because this week is the anniversary that the what chant was created by Steve Austin. You'll get that a little bit later. So what's up, everyone? Don Tony here. This Week in Wrestling History, episode 32. And in case you haven't heard older episodes, if you hear episode 32, that means we're in week 32 of the calendar year. So we're going to cover this week the period of August 7th through August 13th, and I want to get right into it. 1977, and we got to kick it off with a little bit of controversy, brother. Not really controversy. I guess it's a dispute. I think everybody that covers wrestling history will tell you. This week in 1977, Hulk Hogan had his first ever pro wrestling match. As far as who he faced is up for dispute. Now, I've never checked previous Hulk Hogan interviews to see which person he has actually said, you know, just because a wrestler says a debut match, maybe he forgot, you know, remember he would thought he was going to be in Metallica and the Rolling Stones and all his other stuff. So what I have is a little bit different than what other websites have. You might've read elsewhere that Hulk Hogan's debut match took place against Brian Blair. My research leads me that his first ever pro wrestling match was for the CWF promotion championship wrestling from Florida in Fort Pierce, Florida. He wrestled under the name, the super destroyer, and he lost against Don Serrano. That's what I have. It's up for dispute as far as who his opponent was, but everyone agrees this week in 77, Hulk Hogan had his first ever match. 1980 WWF, Shea Stadium. I remember seeing news clips of this in the paper and on Channel 2, CBS TV here in New York. I was a very young wrestling fan. There was no way that my family was going to take me to wrestling. My only person that would have considered was my grandmother. There was no way we could have gone to Shea Stadium. She doesn't drive. Well, she's not with us anymore, but she didn't drive. You know, anybody that's been on my personal page knows what she looks like. You know, not in the greatest physical condition. My grandmother used to take me to Ridgewood Grove Arena and the fucking memories from there is just outstanding. But um, it was this week in 1980, WWF had that uh, memorable event showdown at Shea from Shea Stadium in Flushing, Queens. And a lot of the match results are very well known. You know, the one thing that's a little bit disappointing is that there was no commentary recorded at that time. Yes, the video was there. But what WWE has done over recent years is they've actually added new commentary from Michael Cole and others. And I got to be honest with you, it just doesn't feel the same. I originally was going to play a match from that card, 
But with the current commentary and trying to act as if you're seeing this for the first time, it just didn't flow well as far as, you know, just listening to it. Some of the match results from this night. Pat Patterson over Tor Kamada. Tatsumi Fujinami over Chavito Sr., Chavo Classic. And that match for that time was a lot of fun. Antonio Inoki over Larry Sharp. Andre the Giant over Hulk Hogan. And, you know, it's great to see Hogan in the red and yellow in 80, you know, because he would wear different colors, white tights and everything like that. And also to see, you know, them have a confrontation years before the infamous WrestleMania storyline. Tony Atlas over Ken Patera. Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales win the WWF tag titles against the Wild Samoans. And back then, you could not have two titles. So in storyline purposes, why was Bob Backlund fighting for the tag titles in the first place? If you know you can't keep the belt because you would have to make a choice, do I keep the world heavyweight title or do I keep the tag titles? In storyline purposes, why would Pedro Morales choose Bob Backlund? I don't give a shit who was in all. Even if you had a storyline where he was supposed to have a different partner and that person didn't show up, so he chose Backlund instead, I would have chose fucking Pete Sanchez. You know, because I win the belts. I can't keep the belts because my partner already has the World Heavyweight title. So that, even back then as a young wrestling fan, could never understand why they went that route. Look, as far as the match, it was fun. The crowd popped for it. But you take all that aside, you know, why was Bob Acklin in this match? You had to put Backlund on the show, obviously. There should have been a different way to do it, no matter what. And the main event, Bruno San Martino over Larry Zabisco in a steel cage match. This was right smack in the feud between Bruno and Larry, and it was excellent, phenomenal. If you've never seen this event and you like old school nostalgia, go seek it out. 1984, Georgia Championship Wrestling is pissed off because the Junkyard Dog left their promotion, showed up on WWE television without telling them. Now, look, you got to keep in perspective the time period we're talking about. 84, Vince McMahon trying to go nationwide, taking over territories, other wrestlers abruptly leaving other promotions and sign with the WWF. So, you know, Junkyard Dog's move at that time looked very, very unprofessional. And as you all are smart enough to understand, there are always three sides to every story. There's the Junkyard Dog side, there's Bill Watts and Georgia Championship Wrestling, and there's the truth. So we don't know what happened behind the scenes that would have caused Junkyard Dog to just not even give his release. And Georgia Championship Wrestling, they kind of buried Junkyard Dog on TV on the way out because of him just getting up and leaving. But still, nonetheless, you know, he made the jump. If you read websites, they talk about how he was tremendously overweight and he had drug problems and this is an ad and, you know, Bill... You look at his debut in 84, he wasn't that out of shape. Yes, as the years went on, he got bigger and bigger, and it's kind of sad to see his tail end of his WCW run to be that much out of shape and, uh, you know, drug issues or drug issues. But still, in 84, Junkyard Dog could still do it, and his feud with Terry Funk is still one of my favorites of all time. So there you go. 1986, Ric Flair beats Dusty Rhodes. To win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, that was Ric Flair's fifth reign at the time. The This match, if you have followed 
their matches in the past. This was the one where Dusty Rhodes was in so much pain, he passed out. So the referee counted one, two, three, because his shoulders were down on the mat. And as I have said on previous episodes, you know, you add up the total number of days of Dusty Rhodes's title reigns. I mean, it's less than 80 or 90 days total, total had the belt for very short periods of time. And that just goes to show you what, you know, we we've all realized since we were kids, you know, some wrestlers are better suited trying to get the title pursuit of the championship than actually getting the championship. So Dusty Rhodes would fight, fight, fight and claw common man fighting for that title, trying to win it, trying to get the big one. And then once he gets it, all right, and we can't really maintain that aura, so we'll make him lose it. Makes sense. Makes sense. 1988, we have the Wrestling Challenge, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. The beginning of some wrestlers' careers in the WWF and the end of some wrestlers' careers in the WWF. First, let's talk about who was leaving at this time and talk about wrestlers that were a little bit overweight. It was this week in 88 on Wrestling Challenge. We saw the Iron Sheik wrestle Joe Milano. And match went two or three minutes. You know, it really wasn't anything more than just the squash match that we always saw at that time as young fans. But if you actually watch the match closely, this is 1988. The Iron Sheik is having a little bit of struggles getting up from being on the mat. You could see little things here and there. You wouldn't notice it right away unless somebody pointed out. And then you look at it close. Okay, you understand, you know, you put on 30 or 40 pounds and he's having a little bit of struggle. You know, could he still compete? Absolutely. But this was a little less than, I guess, a year, right around a year after the controversy with him and Hacksaw Jim Duggan getting busted on the fucking New Jersey Turnpike. So 1988 this week, Iron Sheik, wrestles his last ever match for WWE. And I know what some of you are going to say right away. Oh, the gimmick battle royal. Ah, we're not talking. We're talking about regular in-ring career match. So if you'd like to hear his last ever match in the WWF, because, you know, he's got a little promo attached to it. Here it is, 1988. Iron Sheik wrestles his last ever match in the WWF, last ever singles match in the WWF. Managed by Slick. Plenty of folks out there certainly enjoying the World Wrestling Federation, the superstars, ice cream bars. They are a treat indeed. If you haven't had one, you really missed out. This contest is scheduled for one fall. Introducing first, accompanied by his manager, oh, take a look at the plague, Brian. as the doctor of style. Slick. World Wrestling Federation is indeed the international organization. Weighing at 258 pounds. We've got them from everywhere. Federation heavyweight champion. I guess looking once again to regain that title, Brent. Why else would he be here? That's exactly it. You know, those Iranians are very proud men. Look at that. Threw the flag down like it was a piece of garbage. Would you do that? I don't really care much about the Iranian flag. No, that's... You never let a flag touch the floor. That's right. I know that. Boy, he's really gotten bigger. Look, it's another Arab. He's about 40 pounds heavier than I've ever seen him. 
Iron Sheik, obviously, back here in the World Wrestling Federation for one specific reason and one reason only. Oh. We put the question to him, and here's his response. You know, my pleasure to come back again from 10,000 miles, wrestling country Iran to W. Man, man, you have to be great to be champion. But remember, intelligent American, no, I was not here. Now I'm here only for you and my belt. Look at He wants the Lancho Man all oh. in that move. Strangled right over that second rope. Now he was telling me the other day that the Iranians are not like the South Americans. He's a trained constantly from the time they get up to the time they go to bed. And he thinks that his match, if he can get one with Macho Man Randy Savage, won't take him more than five minutes. Oh, please, will you stop? This is my assist, what he told me. At his body right, weight right now, if the match went over five minutes, he'd be in real trouble. Nice suplex there, coming right down on the back of the head. Oh, he's going for a ride. Uh-oh. Here it comes. Setting him up. Camel Clutch coming at you. Right here on Wrestling Challenge. This guy can put it on and put it on with authority. Look at him settle back here. He's dangerous now with a slickster in his corner. Even more dangerous. He can not only break his back, he can break his neck. Sure can. Let's get the official word. The winner of the match, the Iron Sheep. Now we got another audio clip from 1988. We had two debuts come in. Now, one of them isn't really a debut because Kern Henning wrestled in the early 80s for the WWF. Him and Eddie Gilbert, I mean, we had, you called jobbers at the time. Some people call them enhancement talent. They're young and upcoming stars, but had no chance of winning. They get a little flurry of offense and you have the crowd go nuts and they think, oh, for a split second, he has a chance of winning. Then they lose. That, that's pretty much what Eddie Gilbert and Kurt Henning's careers were when they first came into the WWF. And um, it's it's interesting to think back as a young wrestling fan at that time and attach the two guys together. And I always thought it would have been really cool to see Eddie Gilbert and Kurt Henning be a steady tag team in the WWF for an extended period of time. Yes, they had tag matches. But still, it would have been interesting to see if they would have possibly gotten a very short title reign as really up-and-coming young stars. Were they ready? Absolutely not. But I just remember how much the crowd was into both of them um, when they first came in. So this week in 88, Kurt Henning returns to the WWF. This is after his AWA run. Remember, he was the heavyweight champion there for a, a period of time. And this was right before the Mr. Perfect gimmick remember when he came in in 88 they didn't start mr perfect right away he actually wrestled some matches first so it's a house show and believe it or not this house show is currently on the wwe network took place this week in 88 in los angeles california on that card you have kurt enning making his wwf return against special delivery jones the match was eh, nothing really to write home about but the match that everybody remembers from that night. I'm talking about younger car, younger stars. Owen Hart making his debut. Now, we all know him as the Blue Blazer, as far as his gimmick, obviously, the tragedy that took place. But when he first came into WWF in 88, he was called the Blue Angel. And I'm going to share that match with you right now. And honestly, um, this is the longest clip of the entire 
episode this week. And trust me, we got some awesome segments and clips later on. So believe me, I originally thought this was going to be an episode with very few clips. It's very close to the same amount of clips as the last episode. And everybody loved last episode as far as clips go. But I'm going to share with you the match that he had. His debut against Barry Horowitz. Now, I did chop down some of the quieter moments of the match, condensed it to about 12 minutes. But there's a reason why I'm sharing this. Because this is Owen Hart's debut. There was no internet at the time. There really was no hotlines at the time. You know, you had one or two, you know, nine, seven, six numbers. We really didn't have anything. You had the magazines. And even with the magazines at that time, there wasn't any real big stories on Owen Hart. And what I love about this match, and if you have the opportunity to watch it, it's even better. The crowd gets behind this guy. You know, and you listen to it in the beginning, the crowd is a little bit mild, but when you hear the energy and you hear the moves and see the moves that he's doing for 1988, by the end of that match, when he gets the victory over Barry Horowitz, crowd fucking loved it. Ate it up, and it was just so awesome to see that happen to Owen Hart at that time. We had no idea what kind of future he would have in wrestling, putting the tragedy aside, but it was really, really cool to have the Blue Angel, Owen Hart, make his debut this week in 1988. You're on the along with superstar Billy Graham back here in the Los Angeles Sports Arena. Our next match coming up, Barry Horowitz taking on the Blue Angel. As they're making their way down to the ring now, let's go to ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, this next bout is scheduled for one fall. Introducing first, in the corner to my left, from St. Petersburg, Florida, weighing in at 231 pounds, Barry Horowitz. And his opponent this evening, weighing in at 228 pounds, from parts unknown, the Blue Angel. Well, Barry Horowitz with that little, you know, that little pat on the back. Yeah. It's, it's only about 18 inches away from kicking the pants. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether he realizes that or not. Yeah, right. yeah. And, you know, I, I got a question to ask you, uh, Brother Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, what is it with these masks? Uh, these people wearing masks. Are they, are they, uh, uh, what, what is it? Are, are they trying to intimidate? Are they trying to hide their identity? Do they well, owe taxes? Do they, uh, the, do they owe back child support? What's happening with these masks? Well, I, I, I think in, I think in this particular instance right here, Super started this guy is a 100% full-fledged professional wrestler with many many years of experience and is looking to make a name for himself here in the World Wrestling Federation early on without divulging who the heck he is Oh, a little strategy on his part, well, in other I, words. I think so. And so in case he takes a couple of losses in his early, early doesn't, career. It doesn't bother his standings It doesn't hurt his standings. Well, okay, I, I, I go along with that. But there's no, you know, for my money, I've, I've slipped on into the locker room area on a number of occasions, a number of masks of different sizes and shapes and forms, and they take away your peripheral vision. They take away your breathing ability. Uh, I, I don't see why. I don't see where it would be any advantage other than hiding your identity to putting one of those hard things on. Well, you know, I've heard of a superstition. You know, uh, uh, somewhere along the line, the the, uh, the a lot of the old Spanish wrestlers. Hey, look at this! Oh, now I know why. <laughs> what why a move! Yeah, that's why he's wearing a mask. You called it. You called it correctly. Wait till this kid uh, becomes uh, uh, f fully and totally uh, successful. The World Wrestling Federation. He'll reveal uh, reveal who he is. Right what there. That was the most fantastic move, Gorilla. I, I haven't seen one of those moves done since 
Sky Low Low and uh, Little Beaver. <laughs> yeah, on the bottom rope. <laughs> Listen, let the guy wear the mask as long as he wants. If he makes moves like that, he's got my vote. I, I don't ever remember you doing that in your career. Moves like that? No. Well, I, I stuck the basics, Gorilla. Oh, okay. I, you and I, we were we stuck the very basic moves. Keep mood. your feet on the ground. Yeah, but they worked. They Absolutely. worked. The basic moves worked. Going to work now, Blue Angel with a hammerlock on Barry Horowitz. I guarantee you one thing, that move got a rise out of the sports arena. Boy, it certainly I'm did. I'm telling you, they jumped to their feet when they saw that. Got a rise out of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about high-risk moves. Uh, we saw one. Perhaps we'll see some more before this one's over. I hope we do. Oh, stuck his chin right in there. Horowitz with a nice shoulder block. Oh, kip up by the angel. Leapfrog and a beauty. And a left-handed arm drag. Not too often you're going to see anybody be able to deliver that from both sides. Well, Gorilla, brother, Gorilla Monsoon, it's obvious to me and you at this point that this kid is, is indeed a well-performed, polished, professional World Wrestling Federation wrestler. This kid has got some moves, and it looks like as the, as the match goes on, we're going to see better and better moves. Well, oh, look at that. That's how you dislocate your elbow right there. And what I like about him, he's making, he's, he's doing the beautiful wrestling moves, but he's also getting some, some real serious hurt in there with some knee drops, some elbow drops. He's mixing it up well. Look at this. Standing monkey flip. At the same time, holding on to the arm. Unfortunately, doesn't hook anything. So it's not going to get the three count. But as Barry tries to get up to his feet, he's right back in that hammerlock again. Look at this. Duck underneath suplex. I tell you what. I think the kid should take his mask off right now. He's that good. <laughs> Forget the mask. He's, 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 he's good enough right now, Gorilla. He is no question in anybody's mind, is especially mine right now, that what he can do out there is unreal. Not going to get him that way, Barry. No, that was a stupid move on Barry Horowitz. Part of a simple slam. You're not going to cover anybody with a slam. you got to do much more damage than that. Snapmare takes him over again. Didn't get that one. Horowitz luckily moved that arm out of there. I wonder what's going through Barry Horowitz's mind He's right now. He's wishing he were on the East Coast instead <laughs> of the West Coast. <laughs> He's seen he see more moves here tonight than he has probably his last 30 matches, I guarantee his, it. His home is uh, home state is New Jersey, and I guess he wishes that's where he was. Back in Asbury Park with a boss maybe, huh? Good I beer. guarantee you, he don't want to be here with this guy. He needs to regroup a little bit here, maybe take a hike ski for himself. Sure. He's got 20 count on the floor. Take a walk. Think it over. <laughs> maybe take a long walk and don't come back. I'm telling you, this guy's got some fabulous moves. Sends him in for the ride. Look out, drop down by Horowitz and a reverse drop down, but still, Blue Angel double crosses him with a nice counter to the hip lock and one of his own, and he's hooked up in that arm bar once again. And Barry Horowitz right now is in a bit of trouble. He can't get away from this guy. He can't even get in a position to be aggressive and initiate offense of his own, Gorilla Monsoon. Well, it's important if you can't start to initiate any offense, as Superstar stated, you're in deep, deep trouble. You might as well just forget about it or at least take a hike for yourself and try to regroup a little bit because your game plan is not working. <laughs> Nobody ever won a match without any offense. That's exactly right. And I tell you, the only way Barry Horowitz is going to get some offense is to do something illegal. I'll bank on that. The only way he's going to get something going here with the Blue Angel is to do something illegal, stick a thumb in the eye, a bite, anything illegal to stop the man momentarily so Horowitz can take over. I don't know what the referee's counting for now. Horowitz just put himself in a corner to get a little breather here, get that blood circulating back in that left arm of his, but he's not in a position where a count is warranted. 
now we see Horowitz uh, trying to stall for time. I don't he, blame him. Yeah, I don't blame him. If it wasn't to get time, go out on the floor. you got a 20 count on the floor. you got a 5 count on the, on the apron. Let's go, go for some real time, Barry Horowitz. Get that arm back together. Get a little blood circulation going. Oh, well, no. As long as he was in the ring, the Blue Angels should have been all over him. Exactly Look at this. Right. He's continuing to work on that left arm and shoulder. Slammed him with that arm behind him. That was the first thing that hit the canvas was that left elbow. Nice side mare takeover there. And I tell you what, if that was a million-dollar man standing in the corner and a macho man, the World Wrestling Federation champion standing there, he would have been all over him like a rash. That's one thing you learn in the World Wrestling Federation is to be aggressive. Don't let a man stand in the corner and play cards. Go after the man, Gorilla Monsoon. Never brother. give an inch. Never give an inch and be aggressive. Be aggressive. Uh-oh, Horowitz gone into the tights now to get a little additional leverage here. The only way he's going to get rid of this guy. Leapfrog got up there nicely. Oh, oh, nice reverse thrust kick right in the kisser. Now he should make his move, Gorilla Monsoon. Well, he's hurting too bad, Well, I think. no, yeah, but his legs aren't hurting. He could kick him. His elbow's hurting, his arm's hurting, but he should go after him right now. Make some moves, knee drops on him, anything. That's what I'm, right there, he's doing what I'm saying, too. Right Caught now. him right in the mouth with yeah. that and really stopped him dead in his tracks. Now, now what did he do? He yeah. took, he's taking him to the outside now. Took that elbow pad off, and now with that exposed elbow, planted another one right to the esophagus area. And now Horowitz, the only mistake he made, he should have stayed out there and laid about five more blows on the kid's neck if, he, if he's serious. If he's going to go ahead and break a rule, break the rule right. You understand, Gorilla? Look at this choke. Woo. Hung him up with that bottom oh. rope. Nice leverage move. Now, instead of strutting and strutting your stuff, stay on him, Barry Horowitz, if you're serious about that. And he is. He's getting more vicious. He's breaking rules. Hey, I hate to see it happen, but if you want to win a match against a guy like the Blue Angels, who's got every move... Uh, known to man and then some, you're going to have to get awful nasty out there, Gorilla Monsoon, brother. Well, I don't honestly believe that Barry Horowitz, if he broke every rule that he knows and some that you and I know, could get by the Blue Angel. <laughs> well, he's trying. <laughs> uh, I, I give him that, yes. <laughs> he looks a little confused right now. He's given the, the Angel his best shots, and the Angel's still hanging in there. Well, now I think Barry Horowitz is, uh, is, is thinking about some uh, killing a little time of I his think own. He's, he's used up everything he knows, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he's Billy, used up most of his. Uh, yeah, I now think he's he, gone to this reverse chin lock to try to think of maybe a few other things that he could yeah, do. Yeah, he's, uh, he's done it all now. I think he's used up his repertoire, and uh, he's saying, what, what can I do now to this guy? The guy's still on his feet. I've done everything I can to him. I've kicked him. I've been illegal. I've raked his eyes. I've done it all, and the guy's still here ready to make another move on me. I'm, I know that's what's going through his mind right now, and I know it's going to happen. We can feel it, Gorilla. He's gone to this front face lock now, just a controlling hold. As the Blue Angels fighting this thing, looking to come out and maybe perhaps end up with that left arm again. Trying to turn it around. Gone to the midsection. Two shots. That broke it. Look out. Angel off the ropes. Woo. Ran over him like a freight train. Here he comes again. Oh, oh. ran right into the knee. Nice, that was a nice move. move by Horowitz. Yes, it was. That was an excellent counter move, Gorilla Monsoon, brother. That was a counter move by, here, by Horowitz. Excellent. Sort excellent. of a desperation move, I think, as well. Yeah. Well, like you say, he was run over by like a freight train to hit him, and he came right up, and uh, he had to counter that move. Or was, he, he would have been history, brother. Well, that's unusual looking mask that the Blue Angel has on. Like a sort of a... Uh, Sci-fi. Science fiction is mask. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think like... Yeah, it looks like well, oh, look at this. Backslide coming up. Look at the legs aren't driving. You can't beat anybody with that hole unless you drive with your own legs. you got to be digging in the mat, Gorilla. You're right. you got to be digging... 
These guys have been tossing each other around out here for quite a while now, Gorilla Monsoon. I bet you 10 minutes at least. And uh, they're both, uh, I think it's about uh, an even match, brother. Horowitz now with a big roundhouse right. He knows he's done some damage, but he's not sure where because that mask covers your entire face and you can't see where the damage is. No expression. No. Well, that's one good point about wearing a mask. We just realized that. Yeah, we found one good point. Oh, look at that clothesline. I'm off the apron. Nice drop down by Horowitz. But he's wasting time yes, here he having a little be. conversation yeah. with some of our ringsiders. He should be in the ring like a cat. The guy's out there seriously hurt. The man, the angel, is seriously hurt. Horowitz should be in like a cat on top of him. Making big mistakes here. Wasting time. Horowitz setting him up here for something. Ducks underneath a high. Oh, look at oh. this beautiful high sunset flip. Got the legs hooked, but no. Horowitz managed to got that left arm out of there. Gorilla Horowitz. Oh, he's complaining about pulling to the tights. I didn't see that. Sure. Well, I tell you what, Horowitz is in this match. I guarantee you one thing. All these great moves the Angels have been making, Horowitz is still in the game, brother. Abdominal stretch sits back with it. This is a pinning combination. That right shoulder wasn't down. Referee a little bit out of position there. Got to be in the right position. You want to make the count. And now it appears the Blue Angel might be a little bit frustrated. Uh, Look at this. Gorilla. Ah, nice snap. Neck breaker. Horowitz now going to the outside. Where's he going? He's going on top. What's, what's he waiting for? Is he waiting for a whistle waiting or something? Look train. at that. Yeah, yeah. Nice kip up. He waited too long. He's caught in Never Neverland. Goodbye. Oh. And the Angels going up now. Perched up there. Top turnbuckle. Bombs away. Oh. Drop kick. Caught him right on his shoulder blade. And a kip, kip up, up immediately. Yes. What a phenomenal move that was. And Horowitz, instead of begging how to get out of the ring, man, you should, you, should, you should go for higher ground, brother, right now. Couple of reverse knife edges there right in the corner. Suplex City coming up. Oh, he nailed him. Beautifully executed. I believe he could have had the fall there had he wanted it. Look at this. Second turn buckle on the inside. Knee drop. That's got to be it. No! Oh. Horowitz got that left arm out of there. Can't believe it. Horowitz oh. showing me a lot of intestinal fortitude here. Yeah, Gorilla Monsoon. Horowitz is showing a lot of guts. That's, oh, that's look what at he's that. showing. Backbreaker. Well executed again. But look at he's got still got that left arm able to get it out through there. Blue Angel needs to work on his pinning combinations. He should have put this youngster away a long time ago. Well, I tell you what, maybe Horowitz has more heart than we gave him for, you know? Maybe. Hard into the corner. Oh. He cut that knee. Slow. Flush in the jaw. Flush in the jaw, Gorilla Monsoon. Angel in control once again. Plants him. Looks like he spotted right where he wanted him. Yeah. Look at this, Angel. Reversed. Backwards. Oh, oh. beautiful. With the knee right. Goodbye. Forget about Never it. Never get up from that one, brother. Whoa! What a move that was, Gorilla Monsoon. They're on their feet here in the Los Angeles Sports Arena. Let's get the official word. The gentlemen, the winner of the match, the Blue Angel. Blue Angel getting the accolades here in the sports arena. What a fantastic match this was. Be nice if he could indeed take the mask off and show everybody yeah, exactly. Gorilla.
Check this out, Gorilla. He's on the top rope, and he's going to do it. Is this a gainer or a backflip? Look at that. 15 feet in the air, right down on top of Horowitz for the pin. And he hooks the legs, making no mistakes. One, two, three. That was one of the greatest moves I've seen in pro wrestling, the World Wrestling Federation. Horowitz didn't have a prayer, brother. Now, you see, this sucks because my best Black Scorpion impersonation is when I first wake up in the morning. I'm sure a lot of you out there, you wake up early in the morning, your voice is extra deep, sounds almost like Barry White. You can't do it when you're wide awake like this. But, you know, you look back on it, you see that silhouette, and you listen to the voice, it sounds a lot like Shockmaster, and it's a little homoerotic. When you listen to it, it's like, Oh, Sting, you remember who? Fuck that! And this week on the Wrestling Wrap-Up, we're going to be hearing some comments from the mysterious Black Scorpion, the man that this man, the World Heavyweight Champion Sting, has signed to defend his championship against live here on TBS on September 5th. Sting, do you know anything about this man? And if not, how are you preparing to wrestle him? Well, I have no idea, Bob, who this guy is, the Black Scorpion. I have no clue. No one's saying anything to me. I've seen this little bit right now. I want to see a little bit more here in a few minutes, and I want to give everybody out there the opportunity to see the same thing that I'm going to see for the first time. He is an unknown. How do I prepare for something like that? Well, <laughs> you just have to go for broke. If it's Ric Flair, if it's Arn Anderson, any of the other stars in the NWA, at least I have an idea on how to prepare for something like that. But this guy here, Bob, the Black Scorpion, I have no idea who he is, but I said on national TV on so many different occasions now that I would defend it against anybody worthy enough, obviously he must be. So I'm going to defend it. Maybe we can get an idea who he is, Sting. And to do that, fans, let's watch this. Yeah, let's watch it. Sting, are you listening? Uh, of course you are. You're too much of a hero and a champion to refuse to hear this tape. Sting, I am going to destroy you. A long time has passed since you last saw me. Oh yes, you know me, or at least you did. But don't try to track me down, it won't help. Even if you saw my face in light, you wouldn't recognize me. My face doesn't look the same. Curious. I imagine you are. Of course you are. I want you to be thinking, be concerned, maybe even a little scared. thinking at that time blade runners when he said 86 we thought 
wait, what was going on with Sting in 86? Oh, I remember the Ultimate Warrior. They were teaming up. So is the Ultimate Warrior going to make the jump from WWF to WCW? We were all excited. And, you know, ultimately it was revealed to be Ric Flair. And the storyline really just did not work out all that well. If you want to read some interesting stuff, you know, Google WCW Black Scorpion 1990. And you could get the whole synopsis as far as how this all went down. And, um, you know, when you realize also that, uh, you know, Thunderbolt Patterson, they thought was going to be involved. It's 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 interesting. And on paper, I'm sure at the time they thought it was going to be a great storyline, but it's definitely up there in the wrestle crap category. So there you go. This week in 1990, you know, since we're on 1990, let's flash back and get into what was going on at this time outside of pro wrestling. First, we had Operation Desert Shield begin as the U.S. started deploying troops in Saudi Arabia. In sports, I guess sort of in sports, Pete Rose began his five-month prison term in Marion, Illinois. This had to do with the betting on baseball and lying, and it was was really, really sad to see what happened to Pete Rose. Uh, On the sports side, Mark McGuire sets a major league record at the time, becomes the first player ever to hit 30 home runs in each of his first four Major League Baseball seasons. The Philadelphia Phillies' Terry Mulholland pitches a no-hitter against San Francisco Giants. George Steinbrenner steps down as the owner of the New York Yankees. Major, major controversy. I could spend an hour talking about that. If you want to see a really good story behind that, go on YouTube. Just search Steinbrenner stepping down Yankees owner 1990. You'll get a really good synopsis as far as what went down. Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. become the first ever father and son to play on the same team. This was on the Seattle Mariners. And in that game, they both singled in the first inning. Phyllis Palander sues Mike Tyson for sexual harassment. In uh, entertainment news, movies that premiered at this time in 1990, you had The Exorcist 3, DuckTales the movie, Mo Better Blues, My Blue Heaven, Pump Up the Volume, and Darkman. Toys that were must-haves at this time in August of 1990. Everybody was going nuts for the Nintendo Game Boy, the Atari Lynx, anything that had to do with new kids on the block, and everybody insisted to buy Furbies. Born at this time in August of 90, Jennifer Lawrence. Sadly, Stevie Ray Vaughan died in a helicopter crash at age 35. A gallon of gas at that time cost $1.16. Price of a postage stamp, 25 cents. Cost of a gallon of milk, $2.78. And cost of a dozen eggs, a dollar. And in music, August of 1990, what was hitting number one at the time? First in the U.S., the top pop song at that time, Mariah Carey's Vision of Love.
the top UK song, Rock Sets, Listen to Your Heart. Sorry, I hated that song. Top rock song at that time, Johnny Van Zant's Brickyard Road. Top rap song at the time, Untouchable, performing Above the Law. Top dance song at this time in August of 1990, one of my favorites at the time, The Adventures of Stevie V, Dirty Cash. There is your flashback of what was going on in August of 1990 outside of the world, pro wrestling. You know, it's cool in this day and age to see a lot of young wrestling fans getting into New Japan pro wrestling, watching the G1 tournaments and other tournaments that are overseas. I wish more of them would actually go back to yesteryear and see how far back a lot of these events go, decades and decades. But um, this week in 1992... Masahiro Chono defeats Ravishing Rick Rude in the final match of the G1 Climax Tournament to win the vacated NWA Heavyweight title. Now, just to go back a little bit, summer of 1991, Ric Flair leaves WCW for the WWF. So WCW strips Ric Flair of the WCW Heavyweight title. NWA does not strip Ric Flair right away. When Ric Flair debuted for the WWF in September of 91, and we will be covering that obviously in a couple of weeks in September, um, NWA stripped Ric Flair of the heavyweight championship. They did not crown a new champion until this week in 1992. 
So the title was vacated for almost a year, and the NWA heavyweight titles never recovered. You know, not only did Ric Flair, you know, leaving WCW damage that title tremendously, but after what Shane Douglas did in ECW, which we happen to cover next week in wrestling history, it was a lot of damage. And kudos to Billy Corrigan trying to resurrect the lineage and the importance of the NWA heavyweight title. I don't know if it'll ever get back on any legitimate level. It's going to take years upon years upon years. I don't know if that struggle is worth it. I hate to say it, but that's really what you're looking at, you know, but still we have to acknowledge the title change. It was an important one at the time. So there you go. This week, also in 1992, Razor Ramon makes his in-ring debut. We had the vignettes. We knew he was coming. We were very interested at the time to see him work on TV. Now, look, we knew Scott Hall's career in other federations, but the Razor Ramon gimmick was brand new. And yes, it was 10 years after Scarface, but still it was interesting at the time. The vignettes were a little bit hokey at points, but still entertaining nonetheless. So I want to share with you Razor Ramon's in-ring debut match and take notice of his opponent. Person's name was Paul Van Dow. After the match is over, I'm going to share with you a little tidbit that it's amazing how many wrestling fans are not aware in this day and age about one important tidbit in the career of Paul Van Dow. So here you go. This week, 1992, Reza Ramon debuts. We're back with more WWF action. All right, Mr. Perfect, who started all of this? Did Randy Savage call you? Did he institute this alleged negotiation? Or was it you putting a bug in Randy Savage's ear? You're an awful nosy guy, aren't you, pal? From Miami, Florida. Well, take a look at this. 287 pounds, Razor. How about this? I've been waiting for this. Now we're going to find out whether or not Razor Ramon, you know that pole, can back up that rather uh, haughty attitude of his. He certainly got the body to do it. Actually, I didn't think he was this large. He is a monster of a man, isn't he? Razor Ramon making his debut. You can bet that he wants to make an auspicious occasion out of this. Razor Ramon ready to lock up with his opponent, Paul Van Dal. Oh! Well, there we see uh, quite a display of strength on the part of Razor Ramon. All right, come on, let him up. This man knows America, the land of opportunity. Oh, wow. Did you hear that? Wow. We heard it up in the Raptors. I like it already. Raise Ramon, rip to the buckle in. Oh, my. Well, I must say I'm impressed thus far. Raise Ramon taking care of business. Oh, my, right in the face. He told me if he would have been here, 
there three years ago by now, he'd be the World Wrestling Federation champion. He'd have his own hotel, his own golf course, he'd have everything he wanted. Well, all he wants is what he has coming to him, allegedly. Yeah. The world and everything in it. The words of Razor Ramon. What a great attitude that is. I like it. Razor Ramon with Vandell. Oh, wow, look at that. One hand. Well, thus far, Razor Ramon has been able to back up his comments made throughout the weeks. Look at the physique on this man. Kicking that garbage around the ring. You know I like that style. You like the humiliation. That's right. Look at Razor Ramon. At will, slapping his opponent. Knowing full well that the, all of the eyes of the WWF are on him right now as he makes his debut, rustling in the squared circle. He wants some competition. That's what he wants. Bob Andal being hoisted to the top rope. Razor Ramon now from behind. What's going to happen? Oh, no. From the oh, top. My. Look at that. That's 15 feet in the air. He just dropped that man from. Machismo. Razor Ramon may exude machismo. Look at this. What's going to happen? Uh-oh. What? What is this? Oh, no! I have never seen a move like that before. And an easy three count. Look at the look in his eye, man. As he says, look at me. Machismo, it's Razor Ramon. Machismo, all right, but I'm not so sure it's macho. Little tidbit about Paul Van Dow. And it's amazing that this has not been brought up more up until his point on WWE television. Because I honestly think, as crazy as it sounds, that if more people realize that Carmella is a second generation wrestler and that wrestling is in her family history, and it doesn't just seem like it's just a, a woman on TV that doesn't wrestle all that good, is annoying, and you know. I think if some people really knew her family's background, that you might actually look at Carmella a little bit different as far as, you know, we always seem to appreciate more wrestlers who enjoyed wrestling growing up. You know, a lot of people kind of feel a little slighted when they have a superstar. Oh, I was never into wrestling. Never liked it. I came in there for the money. So how many of you out there knew that Carmella was a second generation wrestler? WWE over the years, that's one of the things I never liked about them. You know, like when it comes to second and third generation wrestlers, you will always hear the names of Flair, Hart, Nightheart, Orton, but you never get to hear Dale. <laughs> you know what I mean? They never ever really acknowledge names that just aren't household wrestling names. But Paul Vandal, real name is Paul Vandal. He wrestled Razor Ramon in his debut match, and Paul Va uh, Van Dale is the father of Carmella. Just figured I'd share that with everyone. 1993, Philly, ECW Arena. Eddie Gilbert and Doc Patriot defeat the Super Destroyers in a tournament final to win the vacated Eastern Championship Wrestling Tag Team titles. It was vacated because Chris Candido, who wrestled at the time as Christopher Michaels, 
He held the title with Johnny Hotbody. They were the Suicide Blondes. They left to go to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So that was the tournament final. That same card, Tito Santana defeated Don Morocco to win the NWA Eastern Championship Heavyweight title. Now, like I said before, talking about the NWA title, next week in history, uh, things start progressing as far as the NWA title and ECW. No, next week is not the anniversary that Shane Douglas throws the title down. That happens very, very shortly. But pay attention to next week's episode because there's a little bit of, of tidbits and news that happened weeks before behind the scenes in NWA and ECW that led to Shane Douglas throwing that title down in the tournament. You know, didn't just one day decide, hey, you know what, let's be extreme. Let's throw the title down. No, there was actually a couple of things leading up to it that I know a lot of people aren't aware of. So now we get into a little bit of hokiness. Figured I'd share with you. This week also in 1993, WCW, you know, they had a match between Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Steven Regal, who you now know as William Regal. And this was right before a title match that Ricky Steamboat was going to have against Paul Orndorff on a pay-per-view. So this was just regular WCW television. And Ricky Steamboat and Steven Regal had had matches before. I think that it ended in no contest. So this time around, they decide, WCW, they're going to have Ricky Steamboat in the main event against Steven Regal on TV in a no disqualification match. Do you like to know how this no DQ match ended? Regal, who has two called Scorpio, the Clash Steamboat, who will be going after the television championship. And Paul Orndorff. Steamboat up to the top, getting ready to take flight. Here they go. There And Sir William getting involved. And hey, Paul Orndorff. Hey. Orndorff's not waiting for the Clash. Where'd he come from? Randy Anderson's going to stop this match. Yes, you got it correctly. This no DQ match ended in a DQ. Well, it ended in a no contest, but a no DQ ending in a no contest because somebody interfered. And if you actually watch the match, um, Ricky Steamboat should have won because Paul Orndorff attacked Ricky Steamboat. Go figure, right? Now we go to 1994. Um, I originally was going to share this audio. In fact, there were two times in today's episode that I was going to play ECW audio and I decided against it because the visual is a thousand times more powerful than the audio. It was first, let's talk about 1994. We'll get into the other moment a little bit later on in this episode. This week in 94, we had Cactus Jack versus Terry Funk take place at their Hardcore Heaven 1994 event. Anybody that followed Japanese wrestling 
and the feud that Cactus Jack and Terry Funk were having. This was a, almost, I don't want to say a fantasy match, but it was a match we wanted to see here in the East Coast, the United States ECW. And it happened. And unfortunately, the match only lasted, what, five minutes, six minutes? They were having Public Enemy get involved with Funk at the time. Cactus they end up getting involved with as well. Anybody who goes back and remembers Cactus and Mikey Whipwreck being a tag team and abruptly winning tag titles, you know, there was that interaction. So what had happened was Cactus Jack and Terry Funk were having a match. They fought to a no contest because Public Enemy got involved. And at the very end of the match, after everything was over, Terry Funk tells fans to throw some chairs in the ring. And if you've ever watched this clip or if you ever watched an ECW intro at the time, we have seen this clip a million times. All you see is fans throwing in chairs after chairs after chairs after chairs. Now, you know, some websites that obviously have never seen this shit will say it was 200 chairs. And they actually write 200 chairs. No, it wasn't anyone near that. But still, it was a crazy amount of chairs. Uh, Public Enemy was buried underneath the chairs, which made it even more, you know, intriguing. Um, If you actually watch the end of Hardcore Heaven 94, Rocco Rock picks up a chair and flings it. And I don't see where this chair ends up, but it looks like it fucking flies into the crowd. You know, you don't see it fly into the crowd, but you watch the end, you'll see what I'm talking about. But the visual of seeing all those chairs hit the ring and even and hearing Bob Ortiz going, stop the chairs, it was incredible. It's a moment that if you've never seen it, go watch it. It's a minute or two of your time and you will enjoy it immensely. And when I get into the other ECW moment that took place this week in history, it is absolutely, you know, it's one of those go-to matches that I will always tell people to go see if you just want to see like a real extreme match. I think some people are starting to get hints of what I'm talking about. Most extreme match ever in ECW's history, bar none. But first, let's get to 1996. WCW had their Hog Wild pay-per-view. Later on in years, they would have to change the name to Road Wild because of copyright infringement or some shit like that. Took place in Sturgis, South Dakota. You watch any of these Hog Wild events, Road Wild events, you know, they always had nice turnouts. But when you realize that these turnouts were free, you know, that's a lot of money that WCW left on the table, especially when you want to try to capitalize. Of course, you want to give away things for free. I mean, any successful business at some point, you have to invest time, money, and a lot of extra overtime hours and get nothing in return, but just to build your brand, build your following. Even when it comes to doing these podcasts, you know, I've been, I go back to 1997 doing hotlines and podcasts and all this stuff. And from 1997 until 2016, 98% of all the expenses to run the shows, host it, stream it, store it, websites, bandwidth, you know, promoting it. it just All of the expenses comes out of your own pocket. Anybody that knows Mish from Wrestling Soup, we've joked about it, but it's real. If you add up all of the money that Mish and I have spent on our shows going back all these years, we could have bought two brand new cars. And we're not talking about bullshit fucking little Hondas. We're talking about, you know, maybe a nice Lexus. That's how much money was invested. But 
you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people in this day and age with podcasts, unless there's something in it for them that they don't invest the extra time and energy. And I always give advice to aspiring podcasts out there. You got to put in the time. You got to put in the effort. You can't turn around and just say, I'm not going to do something because someone else does it better. That's a fucking cop out. Subconsciously, you're trying to find an excuse to be lazy and not do something. Your heart is in it. You put in the time, the work, and you do a lot of things and get nothing in return. But when it comes to WCW and you got Hogan, you got the NWO, you got things, balls to the wall. Sure, you want to give a little bit back, but I don't know if this was wise in any way, shape, or form. So anyway, this night in 1996, Hollywood Hogan defeats the Giant to win the WCW Heavyweight Championship. This was the first time that the NWO letters were spray painted ever on the WCW title. You know, so at the time it just felt like, oh, it's sacrilegious. How could you do that to a title? But it worked. It worked. And look, the NWO spray painted on the WCW title became a real popular merchandise item to have. A lot of people who collect wrestling belts, that is a belt that they will have in their collection. So, you know, the card itself wasn't bad. It's a shame when you look back on it, you know, a lot of the crowd did not react to some of the matches, one of them in particular, Rey Mysterio versus Ultimo Dragon. They might have called him the ultimate dragon at the time. I hated that. They Instead of calling him Ultimo Dragon or Ultimo Dragon, they called him the ultimate dragon. You know, I, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. I mean, were we supposed to think of the ultimate warrior? In it? The ultimate dragon. I hated that fucking name. But you watch this match and you see some of the high risk moves they do, especially Rey Mysterio diving outside in the ring on an ultimate dragon. You know, the crowd didn't even pop, you know, so the wrestlers did put in some pretty damn good effort on this card. But uh, the main event had Hogan winning the title. And we also had the disciple Brutus Beefcake trying to join the NWO. And uh, it was just that didn't work out all that well for him. So. So now we get to 1997. Big week to be a wrestling fan, especially if you were a fan of all three organizations, ECW, WCW, WWF. First, let's talk about WCW a little bit. This week in 97, they had their Road Wild pay-per-view. Main event was Hulk Hogan getting back, winning the WCW heavyweight title from Lex Luger. You might remember last week, we played the match where Luger won the title on Nitro, and he only kept it for about a week. Now, This is where I get a kick out of young wrestling fans who are podcasters who think they know it all. There's nothing wrong with not understanding complete history or maybe not being around at a particular time. But when you would try to interpret history without living through it week in and week out and week in and week out and the storyline developing... You have no right to say some of the idiotic things that are said. And I'm sorry for younger wrestling fans to hear this. I'll give you a great example. I talk, I kind of talked about this last week. You know, you have younger podcasters out there that weren't fans that were probably in diapers in 1997. And they go back at that and they say, wow, Luger only had it for a week. Look at the pop that he got from the crowd. Hogan only won it back because it was on a pay-per-view. And that's why they took it off in the first place so he could win it. Unless you were there following the storyline week in and week out, that was not the case at all. It wasn't about ego. It was about the NWO storyline feuding with WCW. NWO was, quote-unquote, unstoppable 
at this point. And by Luger winning the title, albeit for a week, and having the WCW wrestlers all in unison holding him up and happiness, it was supposed to show that, yeah, WCW can overtake the NWO. For a split second, the NWO showed weakness or showed a kink in their armor. That was the reason why they did what they did with Luger winning it. It wasn't that it was lost so Hogan could win it back on a pay-per-view. You know, that's just dumb. But that took place this week in 97. You know, I should also mention the USWA. It's kind of unfair to not include them as well because they were doing pretty decent at the time as well. Yes, the promotion folded in November, but they did have their moments of good shows. This week in 97, Dutch Mantel defeated Jared King Waller to win the USWA Unified Heavyweight Championship. Mantel would be the last ever champion. So I need to mention that as well. Uh, now we get to ECW and WWF slash WWE. Got audio clips for both. Um, let's talk about WWE first. Very important night in the progression of the Attitude Era and the formation of Degeneration X. I know it may not have seemed all that big at the time, but let's paint this picture a little bit. If you remember last week's show, Shawn Michaels, guest referee, Bret Hart versus Undertaker. Shawn Michaels goes to hit Bret Hart with the chair, accidentally hits Undertaker. Shawn Michaels being the referee, he's forced to count to three, even though he's pissed off that he didn't hit Bret Hart. So we now go to Monday Night Raw and Shawn Michaels is talking about having some sort of an insurance policy to protect him. And he's confronting Sergeant Slaughter. So here's the first audio clip that opened up Raw. And if the crowd chants in the background sound like that they're saying Shawn is gay, Shawn is gay, you are correct. Now, at this time, there was all the buzz of him posing in Playgirl magazine I don't know why it would have led to that chant because Playgirl is a magazine targeted for women. I mean, there were other claims at that time that were going around the net. Don't want to get into it now. But here you go. Opening of Raw, 1997. Shawn Michaels talking about an insurance policy. Mankind, you... Say McMahon. What? I don't think it's complimentary. Why don't you ask your sister and your mama how gay Sean is? Mankind, I'll see you in a few. Undertaker, I want to invite you out of the goodness of my heart to watch me smack around the guy that beat you up. I.e., he beat you. I beat him. I can beat you. Now, let's move on. Scroll, scroll, scroll. The World Wrestling Federation and its officials have now put Shawn Michaels, HBK, the initial outlaw of the World Wrestling Federation, on their private hit list. And they've got their new commissioner, Sergeant Slaughter, 
calling the shots. Well, Slaughter, if you think that you are going to stick that big, huge, enormous chin in my business, you got another thing coming because nobody steals my spotlight. I want it all. And I know that's right. Wait a minute. Uh, here comes uh, yeah. the new commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation. He's not needed out here now, man. What an impact last week, Commissioner Slaughter. Gonna come out here and throw his chin around. And Shawn Michaels taking exception to some of the comments about ringside. And now, here comes Commissioner Slaughter. I'm not gonna do any chin-ups for you. Yes, I'll forget it. <laughs> you know, Shawn Michaels, I've been back listening to what you had to say. And you're right. The last thing you want tonight is to have Commissioner Slaughter come out here and put this big jaw in your business. But I am. I am going to put my jaw in your business. You think my actions as the commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation make me want to be in the spotlight? Your spotlight? Shawn Michaels, I've been in so many spotlights, you wouldn't know how to count how many there were. But listen up, because I want to say this loud and clear, I only want to say it once, because I don't like to repeat myself. If you think that Sergeant Slaughter, the Commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation, is here to play games, you're wrong. Anything I do, Anything I say, any decisions I make are for the betterment, strictly for the World Wrestling Federation, not Shawn Michaels. And as far as your match tonight with mankind, I think it's time for you to put up, I think it's time for you to shut up, and I think it's time for you to do something about it. Have I made myself clear? Like a windshield with no windshield wipers, you are crystal clear, Commissioner Gordon. Now, Slaughter, whatever your name is, Chin Boy, nobody talks to the heartbreak kid that way, and you want me to do something about it? Oh, oh, you. You better believe I'm going to do something about it. I know all of you are after me, so, like always, I'm thinking ahead. You see where I'm going? And the heartbreak kid, once again, feels that his life is in danger, thus requiring a small, well, maybe not so small, a big insurance policy. And I think, as you know by my past, I deliver better than the mailman and sure as hell a lot better than UPS. So Slaughter, don't you worry about it. I got an insurance policy and tonight, mankind, there is going to be some sweet chin music, no pun intended Sarge, in the air tonight 
and there isn't anything anybody can do about it. And that is Well, no John Michaels, he is a brash young man. There's no doubt about that. He is, let's face it, an arrogant young man. Damn it, man. And you hate it, don't you? You can't stand it because he's telling it like it is. Oh, he's a tremendous athlete, and I'm very much looking forward to the matchup with mankind. Apparently, Shawn Michaels is bringing an insurance policy with him. So the main event was set for that night, Shawn Michaels versus Mankind. Pretty decent match. A little bit of hardcore mixed in with it as well. Uh, awesome dive by Shawn Michaels onto the table, which he's done many, many times before. And um, at ringside, you have China. You also have Triple H. And they're getting involved a little bit. And then it would ultimately lead to the reveal of Shawn Michaels' insurance policy. The first time Shawn Michaels has been in action in some time. Watch the bang-bang by Mankind, who gets back in the ring and breaks the referee's ten count. Look out! Oh, my God! Mankind just got right. backdropped on the king! Okay. Control. Look out here. Mankind ran right into the steel steps. Well, let's take another look. Watch Sean Michaels death defy. It's a suicide leap. Michaels hadn't missed a, a Lexus been off. That's nothing but a fist fight. And where's the insurance policy? Maybe Michael thinks he doesn't need an insurance policy. Can you hear me? Yep. We hear you. Is the king all right? It's ringing out position. It's turned into a... Hell, a war zone all right. Is. Thank I you. Think Can you hear me? Sean Michaels with the elbow. I need some insurance. Sean but Michaels. Nobody delivers that elbow off the top like Sean Michaels. Whether you love him or you hate him, and here comes some sweet tin music. The band is tuning up. And so, Michael's missing. Man, this time it's in there for good. Oh, to the outside. Not again. Mankind and Michael's back at it again. Ladies and gentlemen, as we think we are, if we're still on the air, Shawn Michaels, and there you see action on the left side of your screen earlier on. When we're in out position, hopefully the equipment is still working. Shawn Michaels, Michaels has taken the, that mask right off of mankind, and they have just been pummeling each other. I mean, it's like 
It's like a mind game's all over again. Last September in Philadelphia, Shawn Michaels showed the world just how physically he could, physically tough he really is. And uh, we're seeing a, a reprise of that. And ladies and gentlemen, we're told that The Undertaker earlier was invited to watch this. Oh! This match, you can bet, he's glued to the monitor of justice. We are as well. And what I'm trying to say is Helsley in China, the insurance policy. Hunter Hearst Helmsley in China, out about ringside. That may be Shawn Michaels' insurance policy, although that wasn't whom we thought it might have been earlier when we saw the shot of Michaels. Yeah, but he's got the sleeper! We know Helmsley in China got a big issue still to settle with mankind, and, or dude love, yeah. for that matter. And that could very well be. Everyone remembers that cage match from SummerSlam. And Michaels is cut. His facial area, I believe, is cut. He's also cut in, the, uh, in his arm. His right arm is cut. And these two, ladies and gentlemen, have been giving it their all, as you'll only find in the World Wrestling Federation. Oh, oh, you're not going to find top caliber superstars giving it their all anywhere else other than this. And these two men have come here to settle a score tonight. Let's go back. I think we have a replay. Oh, Here's a the cover. cover. What? We have no, and a kick out. On the left side of your screen, Michaels, look at this. A death-defying maneuver by Shawn Michaels. That's how he died by Shawn Michaels. That's how he got the cut arm. And now look at Mankind. Mankind back up. Mankind with momentum now. Mankind sending Michaels to the buckle. Mankind and Shawn Michaels right back on top of it. What a matchup this is here tonight, ladies and gentlemen, live. Oh. And Shawn Michaels will face The Undertaker. And if there was any doubt as to the mental or physical toughness of Shawn Michaels, I don't think we can doubt it anymore. Oh, absolutely not. Shawn Michaels is not going to be intimidated, apparently, by The Undertaker, the way, at least for the way Shawn is competing here with Mankind. Mankind holds more victories over The Undertaker than any other WWF superstar yeah. in history. And Michaels has yet to ever face The Undertaker. The bottom line is that The Undertaker is still a man. And until somebody can legitimately beat the man, The Undertaker is still the man. And I think he'll prove it at Ground Zero. Oh. Now, you want to fight? Yeah, we got to fight. We may see a little tactic stack here from me. And the handsome uh, and controversial youngster from San Antonio. And the ladies wait a minute. are going to look. Look, 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 look at the ramp. Hey, wait a minute. It's Rick Rude. Ramassing Rick Rude. He must be John Michaels' new bodyguard. There's the insurance policy. Is this the insurance policy that John Michaels was talking about? Or is it Hunter Hurst? Both men down on the canvas. Both men have given it their all. We'll try and save this match as long as we can and go! Mankind and Shawn Michaels. Oh, wait a minute. Hunter Hearst Helmsley behind the official. Yank Mankind's feet right up under him as China is distracting the official. Oh, wait a minute. Here comes Rick 
Santos. Now, the cute little thing about the quote-unquote insurance policy, I don't know if anybody ever put the two together. You know, Ravishing Rick Rude, why did he not compete for a few years? Problems with the back. He had an insurance policy with Lloyds of London. And in order to get paid from that Lloyds of London policy, he couldn't obviously step back into the ring. So I'm not saying that Rick Rude committed any type of insurance fraud, but you think of Rick Rude and him having this big insurance policy. It could just be coincidence. I don't know. But it was very important for this night because this finally planted the seeds for the creation of D-Generation X. China, Triple H, Ravishing Rick Rude, Shawn Michaels. So in the upcoming shows that we do, the episodes, you will hear the development of D-Generation X in 1997, a very important night. Rick Rude would not stick around all that long. We know about what happened with him going in WCW, but still, this night was very important in the progression of the formulation and development of D-Generation X. So there you go. And before we head over to ECW, one other thing happened on this episode of Raw. You had Rocky Maivia join the Nation of Domination. Now, we're not going to spend much time on it this week because on next week's episode, that is when he cuts the promo confronting the fans about die, Rocky, die. And a lot of people always point to that as the beginning of the quote-unquote The Rock. So here is just a minute or two of how the ending of Farouk's match went down and how Rocky Maivia joined the Nation of Domination. I want to ask you, you think Ahmed Johnson is watching right now? Have you guys heard from him? There's no doubt he is. And Ahmed re-injured, ladies and gentlemen, his knee, unable to be here tonight. Oh, no! Ahmed may never be the same. Ahmed Johnson may never be back at 100%. And the nation is down one man when you consider this a single competition. But we have seen what has happened in the past. And if all, you know what, breaks loose, then the nation would be in trouble. They only have three members, JR. Yeah, there'll be a man short. And uh, no doubt that Farouk somewhere down the line, I'm sure we're looking to recruit another member. But be that as it may right now, we've got a a pretty physical battle here. And down goes Farouk. The former Florida State Seminole driven face first into the canvas. And you can bet the Bariquas are watching this matchup as well. The Bariquas coming into their own as well. Both, look at the, oh my goodness. Uh The official knocked silly on that one. Well, Jack Doan, the referee, knocked down. Maybe knocked out. And a cover here, but there's no one there to count. Good. It's unfortunate. Wait a minute. There's Rocky Maivia. There's The Rock. Great to see The Rock back. What's he doing in the ring? Check it on a referee, make sure he's okay. Look at this! What? Wait a minute. Tell me.
So now we get to the ECW portion of 1997, and it's a little eerie. I'm not going to lie. The fact that I remember a couple little nuances that I did this week at that time in 97. Now, if you weren't on the internet in 97, maybe you didn't just go online, maybe you were too young. In some cases, you might have not even been born yet. There are websites and some videos that give you kind of an understanding of what it was like at that time. I mean, the internet by 97 was full-blown. Not to the level of now as far as social media. That was pretty much just doing AOL chats, going on message boards for the most part. I mean, you really didn't do much else. I mean, you had these chats that went on, but 97, it was still um, much more basic as far as interaction. You had wrestling websites. PW Insider was not around yet. OneWrestling.com was. Meltzer was around. Torch was around. There was a few others as well. And I was a diehard ECW fan. I was a fan since 1993. Followed it religiously. Went to a lot of shows. A plethora of shows. But I was unable to go to this event that took place this week in 97. It was hyped up for a few weeks. And Terry Funk was the ECW heavyweight champion at the time. He was going to have a match against Sabu. And they advertised it as a barbed wire match. Now, I had never seen a barbed wire match in person. I've seen Japanese matches more than anything. And I was very intrigued. A lot of people were as well. We were very, very curious to see this go off in ECW. Yes, before anybody says anything, Cactus Jack and Sandman had barbed wire matches in ECW as well. Not to this level. You think of Sabu and Terry Funk with Japan, you just felt like it was going to go to a different level. So I remember when this match went down that night in the ECW arena, I remember being on the internet and reloading OneWrestling.com over and over and over and over just to get some type of results as far as what went down. And ultimately, late, late, late that night, we started getting little drips and drabs as far as what happened. And a lot of fan recounts, but not play-by-play. So, you know, people were saying that it was, you know, the most extreme match that they've ever seen. They talked about Sabu having a major arm injury. We didn't know the extent of much of anything. Then the following week came along, and I know you're only going to hear audio, but to me, this is the greatest commercial that Paul Heyman has ever put on for any ECW live event in its history. The following week on TV... We get this. There are those who say that the Terry Funk Sabu barbed wire match was too extreme even for ECW. And we would be hard pressed not to agree. Here's your chance. To judge for yourself. Now, they're showing in slow motion Sabu being thrown into the barbed wire. And he's got this look on his face writhing in pain. And, you know, you combine that with the internet and what people were saying of how extreme this was 
got to get it, got to get it, got to get it, got to get it. Thank God for Feinstein at that time. He was selling the tapes. I still have all my VHS tapes, the original ECW VHS tapes from that time. Little by little, I've been converting things onto DVD and making it digital to preserve them. And yes, I know that there's places online that have it, but the quality is Shangata. But I finally got my hands on this match and... I was going to play the audio originally, and I actually spent quite a bit of time editing it, chopping it down, you know, eliminating some long pauses where you don't hear commentating. But the massive ball of barbed wire (laughs) that happened towards the end with Sabu and Terry Funk, you watch this, your jaw drops. I have had people for 20 plus years say to me, You know, if you can give me a top three or if there was any ECW match, you know, that defined extreme that you would want me to see first, which one would it be? Then I put it in two categories. I put it one where there's some weapons involved. I go to November to remember 1995, Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer versus Raven and Cactus Jack. Love that match. One of my favorites of all time. But as far as extreme over the top should never happen again in ECW at that time. I always go to Terry Funk versus Sabu, Born to Be Wired, 1997. I remember when I first started dating my girlfriend, and, you know, she's a wrestling fan. She never followed ECW. And we were watching some old ECW stuff, and she said, put on a match, because she loves Undertaker versus Mick Foley, Mankind, Hell in the Cell. She wanted to see something a little bit more, like, violent. I put on Born to Be Wired, And she looked at it, she saw Sabu's forearm, his bicep being totally ripped open by barbed wire. She thought the barbed wire was fake until she started seeing some of the things that were happening. And she was like, oh my God, it's just unbelievable. And here's a little little audio tidbit. It's only a minute long, but not too long ago, Steve Austin interviewed Joey Styles and asked Joey Styles, what is the most extreme thing you've ever seen in ECW? Now, I know a lot of diehard ECW fans would say, duh, born to be wired, but I'd rather you hear it straight from Joey Styles' mouth. Gives you a little idea of how he felt while he was calling this match. What's the most violent thing? And you saw a lot of violence, Joey. What is the most violent thing you saw in an ECW ring? I got a little queasy watching Born to be Wired between Terry Funk and Sabu. Uh, no rope, barbed wire match. You know, because ECW, to set themselves apart at first, before we were getting great wrestlers, um, great in-ring performers, we were doing a lot of the stuff that, you know, the deathmatch stuff from Japan. And we had Cactus Jack and Terry Funk and Sabu. They did a no rope, barbed wire match. They wound up taking most of the barbed wire off of the turnbuckles. And the end of the match was supposed to be Sabu pinning Terry Funk, but because they were so entwined with each other and barbed wire, that Terry Funk's shoulders could not possibly lay flat on the mat. So thank heaven the referee um, made the call to just count the three count. And if you go back and look, there is a piece of barbed wire, the end of this big giant ball, that is about three inches from poking Terry Funk in the eye. Mm. And, you know, and, and these are two guys who don't slow up, and, and we didn't cut the barbs off the barbed wire or use, you know, rubber barbed wire, which they do sell for movies and such. It was disgusting in person. <laughs> yeah. And then when I went to call it in the studio, it was more disgusting to have to watch and call. I don't know what possesses people to do stuff like that. You must really love what you're doing, because I know we weren't paying people a lot of money. 
but it, it was it, it's unsettling that that kind of violence is unsettling and unnecessary so there you go again a very big week to be a wrestling fan in 1997 it was awesome it really was so now we go to 1998 <laughs> i don't know man i mean this week in 98 was a little bit odd i mean first off this is a week removed. If you remember last week, I choppy choppy your pee-pee. One week later, we have uh, Val Venus in the ring, and he's accompanied by John Wayne Bobbitt. Now, that may sound like the name of a serial killer, but if you've never heard of the name before, if you're a younger wrestling fan, in 1993, this was a major story across the United States. This guy, John Wayne Bobbitt, was cheating on his wife. I think her name was Lorena Bobbitt. And she cut his dick off. She cut his penis off. And it it was just a wild, wacky story at that time. And because of the choppy, choppy, your beepy, they decided to have John Wayne Bobbitt standing next to Val Venus so they both could relate what it's like to have your beepy chopped off. This, uh, it, it didn't go work out all that well. I mean, my highlight of the whole storyline, I think you all will agree as well, is just Mr. Yamaguchi-san in the whole thing. I choppy, choppy, your pee-pee. <laughs> Another thing that happened that night on Raw that I think a lot of people forgot about, the progression of Hawk in the storyline of being uh, you know, under the influence and not well. On this episode of Raw, they actually were walking down to the uh, ringside area, the rampway, and the pyro went off, and Hawk got startled, turned around, lost his balance, fell into the crowd. I didn't like it. I did not like what they were doing with Hawk at this time. One cool thing that happened on Raw that night was Kane and Mankind defeating uh, Steve Austin and The Undertaker, uh, the New Age Outlaws, the Rock and D'Lo Brown in a Four Corners tag team match to win the tag title. So that was a lot of fun. Then we go to WCW. Um, They had their Road Wild pay-per-view. So if you haven't figured it out, 96, 97, 98, Road Wild slash Hog Wild all happened this week in wrestling history. So we have one where Hogan defeats the Giant for the heavyweight title. Then we have one, Hogan beats Lex Luger for the heavyweight title. This time around, we had a tag team match. Hulk Hogan, the main event. It was Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff versus Jay Leno, Diamond Dallas Page. And who was Jay Leno's sidekick? Was it Kevin Eubanks, I think his name was? Now, that guy was jacked, but he's not a wrestler. I honestly look back at this match and I have no problem with about 90% of what Jay Leno did in this match. The one thing that I wish they never did, that if they could go back in time, just not do it at all. When Jay Leno put Hogan in the armbar and Hogan is writhing in pain, you know, if Jay Leno would have done the odd bar and it would have looked like it really hurt. Maybe he pushes the elbow the opposite way, something, then it would have been fine with it. But when you look at Jay Leno as he's doing this, and I'm going to put a little screenshot on a synopsis for this week. Jay Leno has that look like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And it was just piss poor, horrendous garbage. I fucking hated it. 
I hated that moment more than David Arquette winning the WCW Heavyweight title. Because at the time, they were promoting a movie David Arquette was starring in that WCW was heavily featured. You know, you hear behind the scenes of what David Arquette did with the money. David Arquette held that belt for a very short period of time. Yes, he should have never had the heavyweight title. But if you gave me a choice between David Arquette winning the heavyweight title or Jay Leno's fucking armbar onto Hogan, especially in the midst of the NWO, yes, it's two years removed. Yes, the NWO had 1,001 members. But Hollywood Hogan writhing in pain from a very lame, you know, uh, just armbar or just... No, no, no. But here is some highlights from the match that night. Jay Leno, Diamond Dallas Page versus Hollywood Hogan and Eric Bischoff. Come here, brother. Nice Little high fives here from Eubanks. You got involved and did exactly what we predicted the disciple would do. Now he's almost challenging the disciple to come over and get involved as well. Yeah, you. Page has tried to stay in his quarter. And Leno starting the chance again with the fans here. Leno leads the cheers from the ring apron. They went to hook up again, but Hogan one step ahead. Into the midsection, kicked him in the gut. Rakes him right at the at the turnbuckle with Bischoff. Look at Bischoff jawing all the time. Never shuts his mouth and keeps on talking, talking, talking. All he does is keep beating those guns, beating those good back and forth, talking, talking, talking. Shut up. In the corner still, chill called here applied. Tag is made. Look at hate is a big man. Double team Bischoff gets exchange in. Leno wants it. Let him in. Let him go. Swanson Hogan. He's going for Hogan. Yeah, he wants Bischoff is what he wants. As much as he thought. And he was tired of the double team. And here comes Bischoff. Look, look at the balance that Bischoff lays those kicks in with, guys. Oh, just walked right into a big boot from DDP. But he make that tag. Here it comes. That's what the fans want to see. Here's Jay. Bischoff tags in Hogan. He tagged in Hogan. We're going to see Leno against Hogan now. Is that? Well, we didn't expect that. We thought he'd get his blows in against Bischoff, but Bischoff quickly cowered away from Jay Leno. Tag Dallas now. Come on, Leno. Hey, Leno, what's in there, guys? I don't think he wants to tag. Oh, look at Darren. He hit him on the chin. I can do it from here. Quite a target. Please. Leno is willing to get in against one of the all-time greats in wrestling. And this is quite a story in itself. First time in the wrestling ring, the first time he'll ever hook up, and he's going to hook up against the legendary Hollywood Hogan. Oh, is he? How about that quickness exhibited by Jay Leno? And good agility, too. Swatted at Bischoff. This guy's played sports. He's very agile. There's no question. Darren him again. Oh, we're enjoying this, fans. And we hope you are as well. And 
What a situation for Hogan to be involved with here against Jay Leno. You know he doesn't want to be embarrassed. Leno moves out of the way again and tags in Page. Smart move. You're not kidding, it was. Page comes in. I'd like to manage Leno. Yeah. 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 Oh, into the eyes goes Hollywood Hogan, and that stops DDP short. Yes. Right hand into the head. Leno has shown us something. I mean, he, he, he's got guts. He's got guts, and he's, he's using the, the things that have made him a, a major star in the entertainment industry, and that is his mouth. Enticing Hogan in, moving away, showing us the quickness. Mostly been DDP and Hogan, and now Paige battling back. Shoulder drives in. Down on the arm once again goes DDP. Driving Hogan down, straddling now. Break an arm that way. Wait a second, tag again. Now Hogan's down. And Jay Leno, full arm dragon twist. Another one. Drives Hogan to the mat. Oh, you gotta love it. Leno's got Hollywood on his knees. And look at this, look at the leverage. Pushing on the elbow. I love it. Obviously, the training with DDP paid off. Yeah, but there's got to be an aptitude from the student, too. Uh-oh. Handful of hair. Leno is in trouble. Oh. I don't care how much training you've had. His body isn't made to take a move like that. You're not kidding. In the corner, no place to, no place to, any, right, moved out of the way again. Leno showing it. Once again, the full arm dragon twist, using elementary basic wrestling holds and being very effective. Oh, that's probably what Dallas taught him. If you're in trouble, grab a hold of something. That's exactly right, Branch. Good call. Well, Are Leno, you kidding? <laughs> Leno's in a, again? All right, here he comes. I've been in there twice, pal. The double team. And a double close line. Leno makes a cover one, two. Where'd he go? Two count. Oh, my. And tags. How about that? A two count from Jay Leno on Hollywood Hogan. Eubanks grabs a chair away from Hogan. Nails Hogan with a chair. Page rolls him back in. Kevin Eubanks has been a major factor on the outside. Forearm shots by DDP. Into the rock. Oh, Bischoff got the foot on top of the head. Heading off the Bischoff goes down. Page goes down when he turned around. Hogan cleaned his clock. Disciples out there. Goes Elizabeth. Eubanks went over towards Bischoff, but thought better of it when he saw the disciple turn the corner. Page. How about a page? Who's the man? This is a real the greatest of all times. important point in this match, guys. If Page gets in trouble to where he has nowhere else to turn, now remember, he still must turn to a guy very inexperienced in the ring. That's why the pressure is all on the shoulders of Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, what impact in the corner. That clothesline delivered by Hogan. I bet you Leno doesn't want in there now. Right now, Hogan's in charge. Bischoff comes in at a, a basic Bischoff opportune time. Into the side of the head, driving the knuckles into DDP. If they can take Diamond Dallas Page out, I can tell you right now, for as much as he's shown us already tonight, Jay Leno,
will really be up against the wall. Oh, Bischoff. Yeah, look, fast hands on Bischoff. You're not kidding. Look at this. Fans, I'm going to be honest, I'm very impressed. Great rapid flyer, fire combination blows by Eric Bischoff that time. Oh. Shouldn't have turned his back on DDP. The master of the second win, DDP. Hogan was handed something by the disciple. He's got it in his hands. Something taped up. It's an illegal object. Oh. Down goes Page. Page had no idea. He just walked right into that right hand loaded by something. Bischoff on top. And the referee is arguing with the disciple who says, hey, turn around. One, two. Page no. got away. The time it took for the referee to get back to make the count was all DDP needed. Hogan gets the exchange in. What happened to that illegal object? Did he tuck it down in his boots? I think he's got it in his uh, weightlifting belt there. He may have. As Kevin Eubanks walks around at ringside, Page. Come on, Don't do it, do it. trying to distract Hogan. He wants in, guys. He certainly does. He, he will not, he's not back down at all. Uh -oh. But his partner is in grave trouble here. Bischoff is in, or Megan Leno is in as Bischoff holds on. And Hogan's got that fist loaded again. He sure does. Throws it outside. The disciple tucks it in his, in his vest. Meanwhile, in the corner at the feet of Eric Bischoff, a winded, beaten, but still determined Diamond Dallas Page. In to the ropes. There's the big foot. Now you know what's next. Usually likes to drop that big leg. The big leg drop. It's classic Hogan wrestling. But DDP is pulling and scraping. Kevin Eubanks encouraging DDP to make a tag. And so is Leno. Or at least to get back up. Oh, yeah. There's no quitting the people's champion. What a clothesline delivered by Page. I would say it. Page has to make that tag, but I don't know who. There's only one tag to make, guys, and he's got to make it. It's scary, but Lennon's doing a great job in there. Hogan crawling to make that tag to Mr. E. Bischoff gets the tag in. And the tag to Jay Leno. Out goes DDP. And now. Is it the Tonight Show versus? Nightcap. Nightcap. This is what it's all about. This is what Leno, oh, Leno went to the hair and got poked in the eyes by Bischoff. He is going to be the queen of comedy. You better stay off that fantastic Oh, That was the great equalizer delivered by Leno. How about that? He's a quick learner. He knows what to do in that ring, all right. Bischoff goes down. Leno light on his feet. Again. Oh, oh, short explosive, explosive punch. Are you on it right there? Oh, the turnbuckle. Again. I love it. Pillar to post. Hogan saying no, not again. Bischoff trying to fight him off. I'm no. And the fans hey. running right along with it. Down go 
Bischoff. Look at Leno, bring on Gober. Down goes Bischoff in a heap, he's in trouble. Watch out from behind, watch out from behind, it's Hogan. Oh, Leno, Jay Leno in a tough spot, oh, he moved. The quickness of Leno, believe it or not. Eubanks in. Eubanks is in the disciple. He's signaling the diamond cutter. He's going to the diamond cutter. Can he do it? Yes, he can. Yes. Put a diamond cutter on Bishop. He put it on Bishop. Leno's going to make a counter. One, two, three. attention in the crowd they actually got into this shit but again you know this was a free pay-per-view for those who are in attendance so shit when anything is free you pop for it a little bit more so the diehard true wrestling fans i don't think in unison really cared for that all that much and yes it did get wcw a boatload of publicity but just did not like it at all so now we go to the next night on nitro Lex Luger defeating Bret Hart to win the United States title. You know, not a major title change because titles were being, you know, changing hands at record paces in WCW the last couple of years. But again, the reason why I bring this up is the same reason why I brought up Luger versus Hogan last week. Just look at the crowd pop on Nitro when Luger defeats Bret Hart to win the United States title. The crowd was into Luger. And for an extended period of time, you know, as much as you may not have liked his in-ring repertoire, as much as you may have bitter feelings because of what happened with Elizabeth, as much as you may not like the guy because of his personality before, you know, everything health-wise caught up to him, Not be, you may not like him because of what all the other wrestlers have said about him throughout the years. Still, as a wrestling fan at this time, Lex Luger was tremendously over with fans. 1999, another big year this week in history, WWE, WCW. This involves my number one all-time favorite moment on Raw, history. Been watching Raw since day one in 1993. By far, by far my favorite moment in WWE's history of Raw. So let's just put this a little bit into perspective. We have the Monday Night Wars going on, Raw versus Nitro. On Nitro, we have Chris Benoit defeating David Flair to win the United States Championship. As much as I actually didn't mind David Flair in the ring all that much, the fact that he was the U.S. champion at all is almost as bad as David Arquette. 
Um, the main event had Hulk Hogan wearing the red and the yellow once again for the first time in three years. Him, Goldberg, and Sting defeated Sid Vicious, Kevin Nash, and Rick Steiner. So it was a pretty big night on Nitro. Unfortunately for Nitro, Raw was just that much bigger. Now, the two moments on Raw that I think a lot of people forget about, and this one, have you ever heard anybody talk about this? It was this week in 1999 on Raw that China defeated Triple H and The Undertaker in a triple threat falls count anywhere match to become the number one contender for the WWF Championship. Shawn Michaels was the guest referee. Yes, there was interference galore. It's a false count anywhere match. Of course, it's going to be interference. But the fact that China became the number one contender for the WWF Championship, sure, she never won the belt. But you talk about women and evolution, this and that. Jesus Christ, has, yeah, have you ever gotten this far? As far as a female in the WWF Championship, she was the number one contender after that night. And the fans had no problem with it. I remember doing my hotline. Nobody had a problem with it. I remember surfing the net. Nobody had a problem with it. Also on that night, we had X-Pac and Kane defeat JBL and uh, Ron Simmons, you know, the Acolytes, to win the WWF tag titles. And this was a memorable moment as well because... Up until this point, Kane, whenever he talked, he always used that, you know, little device that you put on your neck when you can't speak because of the voice, like an electronic voice box. I am Kane. Listen to This Week in Wrestling History with Don Tony. I am Kane. I use a voice box. Blah, 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 blah. Well, up until this night, he did. But then they won the tag titles and... This is how it went down. And now the, the acolyte. Uh, this is what you get, Expert, for trying to use Shane McMahon's Bronco Buster. Trying to put him away. And the X Factor. The X Factor. X Pop hit the X Factor. Yes. We got the tag champions. X Pop and Kane have done it. Bam. Are you. Cheer without this thing. Come on! Can't believe this. Kane's got two words for us. Suck it. speaking his first words, and they are memorable ones. And you know what? I want you to rewind that clip and listen to it again. 
when you get the three count. Pay attention to the crowd eruption when they won the belts. Sure, people pop because people lose belts. But, you know, how many times have you seen fans of today, whenever they talk about X-Pac in the WWF during the Attitude Era, what do you always hear? Go away, Heat. Go away, Heat. X-Pac, Heat. Go away, Heat. Uh, it was quite a long period of time that X-Pac, as X-Pac, was in WWE during the Attitude Era, and he was over with the crowd. So anybody that wants to tell you that, you know, oh, he always had X-Pac, go away, Heat, that's just not true. So there we got it on Raw that night. China, the number one contender for the heavyweight title. Kane and X-Pac winning the tag titles. And that's still not the moment that highlighted Raw that night. Here you go. My favorite moment of all time on Monday Night Raw. The debut of Chris Jericho. The countdown to the millennium is over and I just, I still, I'm not kidding. I still once in a while will get a little chill on my spine when the Jericho name shows up and that crowd, you just hear that eruption. Fucking awesome, man. Favorite moment of all time on Monday Night Raw. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Well, I'll tell you, though. The rock, I don't know what he has on his mind here. But uh, he is... He is dressed for Battle King, he is the, the great one, the people's champion. Well, I'll tell you what, it has been an unbelievable day, an unbelievable night. It's MTV week. WWF week on MTV, I should say. As we head into SummerSlam in 13 days. It's going to be a long week on MTV, isn't it? Yep. Go your roll. The Rock hammered earlier by the Big Show. And Big Show. The Rock says, seeing as that jabroni you call a partner, The Undertaker is booked tonight for a match. That pretty much leaves you free. So The Rock says, if you've got any fortitude in them little bitty things you call balls. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Very personal here. That's what this is about. Then tonight, in front of all The Rock's fans, you will go one on one with the Laying down a challenge for the big show tonight. And go on and check your big fat ass directly into the SmackDown Hotel. Big show's gonna need a big king-size bed, isn't he? <laughs> wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. Is that Millennium Clock? It's, it's the Millennium Clock.
the World Wrestling Federation. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I am Chris Jericho, your, your new hero, your party host, and most importantly, the most charismatic showman to ever enter your living rooms via a television screen. And for those of you who do know me, well, all hail the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller! Got a nice haircut, I can say that! Now when you think of the new millennium, you think of an event so gigantic that it changes the course of history. You think of a dawning of a new era. In this case, the dawning of a new era in the WWF. A rock is not impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Jericho's got a lot and of a new guts. era is what this once proud and profitable company sorely needs. What was once a captivating, trend-setting program has now deteriorated into a cliched, let's be honest, boring snooze fest that is in dire need of a knight in shining armor. Oh, he's talking about you and now, that's JR. why I'm here. Chris Jericho has come to save the WWF. Oh, from what? Well, you're going to get your pink slip. Now let's go over the facts. Television ratings, downward spiral. Who's he Pay-per-view buy rates, plummeting. Mainstream acceptance, non-existent. And reactions of the live crowds, complete and utter silence. And I know why you're silent. You're silent because you're embarrassed to be here. What? And quite honestly, I'm embarrassed for you. And the reason why you're embarrassed is because of the steady stream of uninteresting, untalented, mediocre sports entertainers who you're forced to cheer for and care for. No wonder you're not cheering. You can care less about every single idiot in that dressing room. And especially this idiot in the center of the ring. A rock is going to explode, King, any minute. You people have been led to believe that mediocrity is excellence. Uh-uh. Jericho is excellence. He's got a lot of guts to interrupt the rock. And now, for the first time in WWF history, you have a man who can entertain you. You have a man who is good enough for you. You have a man who can make you jump up off your chairs, raise your filthy fat little hands in the air, and scream, Go Jericho, go! Go Jericho, go! Go Jericho, go! Thank you. The new millennium has arrived in the WWF. And now that the Y2J problem is here, this company, from the front office idiots, to all the amateurs in the dressing room, including this one, to everybody watching tonight, will 
on the rock show and not even have the class to introduce yourself? What is your name? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. Come on, no. Gotcha. That one. The Rock says you talk about your Y2J plan. Well, The Rock has a little plan of his own, and it's called the KY Jelly Plan. Oh no. Which? (laughs) No, that is Jr. Yeah. You do. Which means The Rock is gonna lube his size 13 boot real good, turn that some bitch sideways, oh. and stick it straight up. You're gonna do that. You know, I actually have heard interviews from Chris Jericho in recent years saying that if he could go back to that night, he would change his promo a little bit because it wasn't like it made more like mid car, something like that. And I'm like, are you nuts? You know, this is just Chris Jericho being a little bit hard on himself at that time going against The Rock, being a new person in the WWE, not having that relationship with the locker room yet, coming in from WCW, he did everything right that night. And boy, was that a memorable night to be a wrestling fan. It was awesome, man. And his theme music from that night wasn't released until a few years ago. So anybody that, you know, had the theme saved it was always from that night you'd have the crowd of reaction the eruption and everything else but now we actually have his first ever song his first ever y2j theme in wwe if you've never downloaded it before i'm sure it's on itunes so now we go to 2000 wcw you know they're on a free fall and it sucked because you had some good young talent in the company. You had people coming in from, you know, ECW, WWE. They had the roster. And if you've paid attention to my show the last three weeks, Landstorm won three belts in a row, the U.S. title, the hardcore title, the Cruiserweight title, to become a triple champion. So now you got Landstorm, triple champion fighting on Monday Nitro against Booker T for the WCW Heavyweight Championship. The possibility of Landstorm now having four belts. Did we think that night that Landstorm could possibly win the title? Never say never at that time. There were so many titles changing hands. But I don't recall anybody really having a big buzz at that time that Landstorm really had a shot at winning it. 
But basically what started happening is during this match, you have Mike Awesome on color commentary, who at the time was the fat chick thriller. You know, the match goes off. Lance Storm don't win the title. Fine. So now we go into the following Sunday this week as well. They have the New Blood Rising pay-per-view from Canada. Right? Canada now. So now you got Lance Storm going into this pay-per-view in Canada as a triple champion. Okay? Lance Storm defeats Mike Awesome in a Canadian rules match for the U.S. Heavyweight Championship. Now, I originally was going to play the audio of this, but it's just so hokey and dumb and ridiculous. And since we got to keep these shows under a certain amount of time, I ain't wasting on that. But you had Jacques Rougeau, special referee. And again, keep in mind, this is in Canada. So you had a few times during the match where Mike Awesome had Lance Storm beat, but the rules kept being changed. You know, we've seen that happen a couple of times on WWE TV over the years. You'll have like a GM or a referee and you'll have a decision on TV. And then all of a sudden the GM will come out and say, you know, oh, no, blah, 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 restart the match. Oh, no, 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 blah, 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 restart the match. So it ends up that Landstorm retains. Now, I'm going to leave it there because the following night on Nitro doesn't take place until episode 33 of this week in wrestling history. But when I cover next week, what transpired the next night on raw is just, it's probably one of the, you know, that just when you want to look back at just dumb, ridiculously stupid things that WCW did towards the tail end of their existence. Yeah. That this is up there on the list. So you'll hear what transpired the following night on nitro uh, following this match. That same pay-per-view, you had Sting defeating the Demon in less than a minute. You also had Major Guns defeating Miss Hancock in a mud rip-off-the-clothes match. Yeah, it was whatever, you know. I mean, look, they were hot and everything, but you watch it back, and with the mud, you don't see nothing. So, you know, in fact, I think people rated that pay-per-view as one, the worst pay-per-view of the year, believe it or not. Main event had Kevin Nash defeating Goldberg and St- and Scott, excuse me, Scott Steiner in a three-way match. So late in the match, Goldberg gets up and leaves. <laughs> just gets up and leaves. It was not good. It really, really sucked. I mean, it just you look back on it and you just scratch your head. Like, how could you just be that dumb with booking? I mean, I understand WWE was on momentum and attitude and everything like that, but Jesus Christ, one of the, the things that I always say about when I do my shows, and no, I'm not comparing what we do to the, that product, but it's just a core belief in anything that you do. Did you want people to follow your product because you're good? not because someone else is bad. And WCW, instead of trying to put on the best product they possibly can to possibly get people to watch their product because it's better or they believe it's better, they just tried with the shock over the top results. And, you know, I talk about that with TNA for many, many years. And, you know, less is more in a lot of occasions. And just because, you know, you want to add your little TNA touch to it or WCW doesn't mean it's the smartest thing to do. And you look back on it, there's a lot of horrendous things that had gone, that had gone down in uh, both companies, and neither one are in existence anymore. So now we get to 2001, and it was this week in 01 that Steve Austin first started doing the What Chance. And what's cool about this week is that something else happened on SmackDown that 
everybody seemed to have forgot about that happened this week as well. We're going to have some fun with that too. So you got two audio clips for 2001. But you heard the beginning of this episode, how the what phrase started, you know, with him, voicemail, Christian, you know that. But how did it actually take place on Raw? Well, let me just paint this picture a little bit. We're right in the midst of the alliance, WCW and ECW, trying to take over WWF. We already had Invasion taking place, and you have Steve Austin in the ring, who's the leader of the alliance, and you have the alliance all standing around ringside. So basically, Steve Austin wants to praise certain members of the alliance, like Diamond Dallas Page and Canyon, who were the tag champs at the time. He praised Rhino. He praised Test for joining the alliance. Then he started to berate a few members of the alliance. And this is how it went down. Before I get on with these three guys, I know you got the Austin 316 shirt on, but you ain't even had a stupid match yet. I've seen you in the back carrying guys water and coffee. Can I get you a water? Can I get you a coffee? Can I get you a protein bar? Can I get you to grow a damn backbone and be somebody? Awesome talking to Tommy Dreamer. Look at you guys. Get over here. Wipe that look off your face. Look at me. Who whipped your ass last Thursday? I was in the... I didn't ask you to explain something. I said, who whipped your ass last Thursday? Y2J. That's right. Y2J. Exactly. <laughs> Look at you. Y2J. Look at you. You're 275 pounds. Your name is Hugh Morris. What? Your name is Hugh Morris. What? Is that funny? Is that humorous? Are you here to make me laugh? What? You're pathetic! Look at me! You're pathetic! Y2J whipped your ass. I'm ashamed of you. Step back. Who whipped your ass? Last week, Saturn. <laughs> okay, well, okay. Here's a guy who carries around a mop. As he carries a mop. What? As far as I'm concerned, you should have mopped the damn ring with that lunatic. He's got a sexual relationship with a stick with a damn mop on the end of it and he whipped your ass am i correct if i'm lying you tell me i'm lying you're you're correct i'm what you're correct that's right i am correct what about me what about raven quote the raven nevermore you want me to give you a little speech do you want me to you suck Grove Stone Cold Nevermore. 
You make me sick. Which brings me to you. At least these guys went down fighting. At least these guys tried. At least these guys had the intestinal fortitude to fight. This is humiliation. But what did you do, Taz? Master of the suplex. What did you do? Huh? What, 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 what did you do, Taz? The human suplex machine. You came from ECW. You know what? I could sit here and chastise you all night long. But a picture is worth a thousand words. So let's, let's see exactly what you did. This is utterly humiliating to these men. There you are, right there in the circle with your stupid orange shirt on. You got a headset on. Your little glasses. That's the boss. That's the guy who signs your paychecks. There. That man, part of the alliance, just got, they just got the smack laid down to him right there on an announce table. What? You're an announcer. What? Talk about stepping in shit, right? Think about that. From a voicemail to selling tens of millions of dollars in merchandise of for what? <laughs> Literally, for what? What? Even to this day on my Patreon, when we give out shirts, I've had a few people request what shirts. It is still popular to this day. Sure, it does rattle some wrestlers in the ring. But, you know, it is what it is. The crowd still loves chanting it, and we still have fun uh, listening to it as well. So there you go. Now, on SmackDown, another infamous segment that took place that a lot of people forgot about. And just paint this picture a little bit. It was this period of time where Chris Jericho and Stephanie did not get along. Stephanie would be the victim of promo after promo after promo. Chris Jericho calling her a bottom-feeding hoe and all this other shit. So Stephanie is in the ring with Rhino, and she is asking Rhino to take out Chris Jericho. And I don't mean on a date. So Rhino obliges. And this would lead to a very infamous segment featuring Rhino. Stephanie, Chris Jericho, Booker T, and The Rock. And also add in the fact that this week, there was a little bit of a change in the way Stephanie looked on camera. Out here in Chicago, chanting for Chris Jericho, Y2J. You know, I am still feeling the effects from that vicious gore last week. And you're right. I have never beaten Rhino. But at SummerSlam, I'm going to take care of that smelly, greasy, nasty animal. And I'm going to get you too, Rhino. Oh, Here we go. That wasn't funny. You don't agree, Stephanie? Well, 
You did say that Rhino was going to get the job done. But looking at you standing in that ring right now, I'd say you're the expert when it comes to getting the job done. What does he mean by that, Paul? What are you asking me for? I don't write his stuff. As a matter of fact, I have a little bit of video to show of my own. Take a look at a still of our little Stephanie from just last year. Stephanie, 
I know what it's like to be disrespected. Believe me. But it pained me to sit back there and listen to this punk ass sucker dissing you like that. You see, Jericho, this woman right here is all natural. You see Jericho, you see Jericho, damn you looking fine Stephanie, yeah, Jesus. Here's the you been taking your vitamins girl, and Triple H is the only driver, you see Jericho, this you seem to be the expert on women with your long pretty blonde hair. I hear there's an opening for a new Backstreet Boy. Maybe you ought to check it out. <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy, was that ever a good one. Uh, well, I hear there's an opening on the new A-Team reunion special. Maybe you should... He didn't say that. Maybe you should check that out, Mr. T. He didn't say that, JR. You didn't say that. That's what I just said. Tell me he did not just say that. I just said, Mr. T. See, Rhino, I can't wait to SummerSlam. Because after you beat that pretty boy, I face The Rock. For the WCW title this Sunday. That's what you're going to do. And I'm going to take his punk ass straight to school. Seven-year-old senior the world has ever seen. 
house with your mama and that short little yellow bus pulling up in front. After what The Rock did to him on SmackDown, rock bottom, right through the table. That's a fact. But The Rock, guess as that old saying is true. Booker T, hair done by Whoopi, shaming man, still a pussy. Wait a second, wait a second, Rock. That was a good one, but you're forgetting one half of the family. I mean, look what's standing in the ring right now. You've got a man beast and a hose beast. I mean, we're dealing with the gore and the hose. Shut up! Shut up! That is enough! Enough! These two clowns are going to get their asses kicked by the Alliance. And I'm promising you that. Oh, The Rock understands this one, Chris. This is a little rhyming contest between you and The Rock. Well, The Rock has got one better than that. Oh, yeah, The Rock has got one better than that. Here's a little rhyme. Here's Booker T and Shane, the punk-ass sucker, and the silver spoon, mother bugger.
it's going to be The Rock, Y2J. Can Booker T and Rhino tonight in front of millions of people live? Raw is war. You see, The Rock and Chris Jericho, we're going to take you two on a little geography lesson. Yeah, we're going to go to France. We're going to go to China. We're going to go to Russia. But don't worry, we get in trouble. We could use Stephen McMahon's breast as a flotation device. But... doesn't matter where we go. Around the world once, some places twice, the fact remains, we will wind up right back here whooping your candy asses all over Chicago. know if you heard it at the very end but if you want to rewind it and hear it again for yourself there is a point where you actually hear the rock say motherfucker and believe it or not wwe network still hasn't bleeped it out in fact chris jericho interviewed stephanie a few years ago and they talked about this night they talked about the breast implants but they also talked about how vince mcmahon flipped out backstage because Stephanie was supposed to interrupt The Rock as soon as he said, mother. But Stephanie didn't catch it in time, so you actually hear The Rock on camera go, motherfucker. So there you go, if you want to seek it out. So now we go to 2002. Two more audio clips to share with you. A memorable match that took place on SmackDown. Fantasy match for a lot of people. And a memorable match that took place at NWA TNA. And, you know, it's really fucking sad. It really is. You know what? I'm going to open up with NWATNA first, talking about them now. You know, I talked last week about Ron Simmons winning the WCW Heavyweight Championship of Invader. First black WCW Heavyweight Champion. And you follow wrestling websites that cover history to this day. And I'd say about 90% of them, when they covered that title change. There was no mention at all about Ron Simmons being the first ever black WCW heavyweight champion. It's just unreal to see that just being labeled as just another title change. You know, it's just, it's terrible. And it happened once again this week. I purposely visited a lot of websites that talk about wrestling history. It was this week in 2002 that Ron the Truth Killings, our truth won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, defeating Ken Shamrock. And once again, those websites just reported it as a regular title change. That's what happens when people just cut and paste shit from other sites. Don't research, don't follow it, don't revisit, don't even look into what they're covering. It's sad, it really is. So I hope that we are, all of us, whether it's me doing this or you listening and or you talking about, I hope this you know really just opens up history for a lot of people out there that may not have witnessed some of these moments. 
So I give to you now the closing moments in that title match where Ron the Truth Killings wins the NWA World Heavyweight title. And I will say this, if you ever watch it, I'm very disappointed at the fans as well. There are some fans that made a big deal about it that night. But, you know, could it be because the match was so early in the card? For those that don't know, this was one of the early matches in the card. And looking back on it, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You On one side, you could say, well, we did it at that particular moment during the night because nobody would have ever expected a title change. So it makes it even more surprising. You pop for the surprise. Holy shit, he just won the title. Then you go on the flip side of it, and you're like, all right, he wins the t- championship. Why did you put it on so early in the night? Because he didn't have the strength to, uh, to close out the show, the notoriety, the name value. You didn't, you know, so it's a double-edged sword. But you can't take away the fact that Ron the Truth Killings this week of 2002 became the first black NWA world heavyweight champion. Here's the closing moments of that match. Well, Ron Killings has totally got his game face on tonight, and and I don't know. I mean, I'm watching this match. This has been back and forth from moment one. Both of these guys are bringing their A game into that ring. Both of these guys are rocking the other one. I mean, this match has been going back and forth from moment one, and I, I'm telling you, I don't see a clear-cut advantage for either. They both have styles that the other has not yet seen so far in NWA TNA as an opponent. Yeah, really a great oh, there. This contrast is frustration etched in his face as referee Scott Armstrong says you were just this close to keeping the title. Shamrock springs cutting with a back elbow. That one was on target. Can he follow up now? Can he put killings away? I think Shamrock might be a little rattled at this point in the game. He probably didn't oh, wasn't even thinking about Ron the Truth Killings as somebody he'd have to be defending his belt against. But here he is in the ring. He might have thought he had a walkover tonight because Ron was not part of that long list. Oh, Shamrock. Here he Attempted the Hurricane Rana takeover by Shamrock. Speaking of being with ankle lock, submission hold. Look at the truth. Yes. Speaking of being ready, I don't think the truth has ever faced anybody with the submission hold the Shamrock has. And look, Shamrock is wrenching that ankle lock in until the referee counts him and forces him to break. That gives him more of an advantage. He puts that much more hurt on Ron the Truth Killings before he has to break. You know, this is the quietest I've ever seen Ron the Truth Killings. He's focused. He's got to be, because this is the match of his life. Whoa. Hey, we talked about the wrestlers all being interested as we see James Mitchell, Malice, Slash, the disciples of the new church, looking on. Not sure where they're at here in the arena. There they are, way at the back of the building. Yeah, Man, all the wrestlers interested in the of the match. I'll tell you now, look at this. John Harris. Yeah, NWA head of security, Don Harris, is out here. That was one of your goons, Ricky, putting yeah. Don Harris in that role as head of security and he's pulled up a steel chair lead us right at the ramp oh man to make sure that there's no interference oh Bonnie Brown is here I told you everybody wants to see this match everybody has a vested interest in the outcome of this match this is the NWA World Heavyweight Championship on the line there's the alpha male Bonnie Brown waiting to see an interview that I did with him what went down in that later we'll get to that in a little bit you're right that just shows how important this matchup is Everyone from the back, everyone scouting. All eyes in the building are on these two competitors. Attempt to suplex. Reversed by the truth. He took him over. But you know who's not out here? Jim Jarrett. Yeah, the, the dragon told him. Next to you. The dragon told him. 
listen to Dad. I don't think it's any coincidence. When the Dragon talks, people listen. It's all about the respect that Ricky Steamboat brings to the NWA TNA. Killings takes a week in Shamrock, rolls him into the ring because he knows he can't win that belt outside of the ring. Shamrock was smart to take the fight outside of the ring. Killings was smarter to bring it back in. Ricky, you've been in both of these roles. Challenger for the World's Heavyweight title as well as champion. Can you go inside oh. both of these competitors? What are their emotions like at a time like this? I always knew as a challenger going in that uh, you're going to have to go after the champion. You have to go after him. You've got to initiate most of the moves, most of the match. You have to be the initiator. Go for the covers. Go for the pin. Try to get as many pinfalls as you can. Wear them down, wear them down. Now, being the champion, my, my mindset was that any time I had an opponent, when I was the champion, my mindset was this. Brother, you're coming to my backyard. You're going to have to come and take it. Make them work That's for right. it. That's right. That was my mindset. Shamrock's doing that. He certainly is. Back to the submission techniques. The cross arm breaker applied. But Ron, the truth killings, able. Shamrock seems frustrated. He could not get a tap out on that arm. Yeah, you, yeah. it is frustration because Ron, the truth killings, was able to block out the pain from that cross arm breaker. Did not submit. A weak in killings, however, comes back. Series of right hands. Sort of locked Shamrock. Oh! Elevated him with a back body drop. I Set him up and over and crashing down to the arena floor. I think Shamrock just wants to show the truth what it's like to be in a real heavyweight title match. And, and he's, give a little yeah, beating for a while. He's finding out up close and personal. Now the two slug it out on the arena floor. Rights from both men. Like we said before, the truth can talk the talk. Shamrock is going to show him what it's like to walk. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, oh, oh. He just pushed here. aside Don Harris. Jeez. And here comes Apollo running out oh, on the next. And here come the disciples as well. This match is broken down. Monty Brown as well. Everybody getting involved. Don Harris, Monty Brown on the attack, sending them back. Shamrock out. Oh, there's the super kick. Apollo just caught Kim Shamrock with the super kick. And now Steve going to roll him back into the ring. is trying to get order out. He's getting them all out. He is. That's it. Everybody up the ramp. That's it. Let's get the action back into the ring. Ricky Steamboat chasing these individuals to the back. That's great. It's back down to the two men in this match. Kind of a variation of a diamond cutter there by the truth. There it is. He Got caught him with it. Two, two. And he beat him away. He beat him away. winner of the match.
the TNA arena for what this man has just done. Another big match took place this week in 2002 for a lot of people, a fantasy match. Hulk Hogan versus Brock Lesnar, number one contendership match. And I know a lot of you, like me, would have preferred to have 80s Hogan versus mid-2010s Brock Lesnar. You know, but we got it in 02. It was the tail end of Hogan's career, but the match was decent nonetheless. This was to help the progression of Brock Lesnar as the next big thing. And how many times in Hulk Hogan's career have you seen him tap out? How many times in Hulk Hogan's career has he not been able to continue in a match? You could count him on one hand, probably. So even the way that this match ended was something you never really ever saw in a Hulk Hogan match before. So here you go. Here is the match. Brock Lesnar versus Hulk Hogan. Number one contendership on SmackDown. The legendary Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And the next big thing, Brock Lesnar and the Hulkamaniacs in full force. And the Hulkamaniacs is one of the reasons why Heyman is nervous. Heyman's also nervous because he knows Hollywood Hulk Hogan for years has defied the odds. You can feel this. You can feel the legend. Looking into the eyes of the granite face Brock Lesnar. I don't think the granite face, as you put it very well, Brock Lesnar wants to play a head game with Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Now, Hogan's the master of the head games. He showed it earlier tonight, Taz, when he baited this youngster into putting his SummerSlam title shot on the line against The Rock here in this match. The winner of this match goes to SummerSlam. Like Stephanie said, perfect win-win situation. See the Rock and Brock? Every single Hulkamaniac in this arena both standing and screaming for the host. And Hogan and Brock Lesnar, the first lockup of the matchup. A stalemate as both men feel each other out. Look at Brock, man. He looks great. Six foot four, 295 pounds. But don't count Hogan out. It was the strength of the next big thing. in this kid. For months and months and months, people have been filling Brock's brain with nothing but confidence and praise. And his agent, Paul Heyman, believe me, I know Paul very well, he knows how to get a guy ready. He knows how to breed winners. Heyman's great at it. Look at this, Brock Lesnar showing his amateur background. The go-behind as he takes down Hollywood Hulk Hogan with a cut to the back. And now, the vicious assault begins by the next Mr. Virginia don't like it. Hope the maniacs ain't happy with Brock. And who should they be? Brock Lesnar, the audacity to swap into the locker room of the legendary Hogan countered. Let's go on the runaway train and Hogan's hitting the cover. Hogan's laying in Lester.
Luger kicks out after a count of one. Lesnar's too strong. You're not going to get a pinfall on Luger this early in the match. Elbow to the sternum. Delivered by Hogan. You cannot count Hogan out. He has overcome the odds each and every time. Who would have thought Hogan could have slammed Andre the Giant at WrestleMania? Hogan got it done. And now he knocks Lesnar out of the ring. And he almost took his head off with that. Let me fool. Hogan play down it. The first time that I can remember, Lester's really, and look at the look in his face. I think Lester's been totally taken aback, totally surprised, and the Hogan's coming in here all Frustration. Lester's frustrated. Maybe he needs to get over to Lester right now and get in Lester's head and calm Lester down. Or I think Heyman's just as nervous. I don't know if Black Lester can solve this puzzle of Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And you, you hit the nail on the head. Lester seems frustrated. He's been taken aback by Hogan. Lesnar should take his time. Oh, there he is. Heyman has the referee distracted. And he allows Brock Lesnar to just slam Hogan into the steel post. Not one but two low blows. And the shots now as the next big thing Brock Lesnar goes to work on Hogan. This is right there. Heyman helped Brock cheat to get the advantage. And now Brock is changing the whole pace. Oh, and elbow to the start. And compulsion of the match. Oh, thunderous elbow. 295 pounds. Driven into the heart of Hollywood. Hulk Hogan. Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is a former NCAA heavyweight champion. The year 2000 Big Ten champion. I mean, Brock Lesnar is a player, a main player. Yeah, Brock Lesnar has the amateur accolades. Oh, a shoulder to the gut. But Brock Lesnar does not have the Hulkamania. Brock Lesnar does not have the experience of Hulk Hogan. But is that enough for Hogan here tonight? Finish him! Paul knows, Paul knows Brock Lesnar needs to keep the heat, the pressure on Hogan. Hogan and Lester's out here playing to the crowd. The inexperience being shown right now by the next big thing. It's a mistake. Brock is talking to the crowd. Brock is talking to Trump man. Well, you know, that's why Brock Lester is called the next big thing and not the big thing yet because he still has a lot to learn. And as Lester delivers those clubbing blows to the back of Hogan, what the hell is he doing now? I don't know, but I just got really nervous. This monster, Brock Lester, is destroyed on an ice table. He had a look in his eye that was not a nice look. Hogan sneaking up. Hogan behind him. Brock Hogan behind. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the veteran instinct of the champion, and a wreck in the eyes by Hogan. And here comes the, the legend. Here comes the champion. And that is why Hogan has been successful for 20 years in this business. This ain't Hogan's first picnic. It's the inexperience of Brock Lesnar. It's getting to him now. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, can he do it again? Can Hollywood? Oh no! The power! Oh, the power! Into the mat. Hanging strong. Not a good combo with you Hogan right now. Paul Heyman screaming at Lester. Screaming at his dad to finish Hogan. The cover. The hook of the leg. He's got it. No, Hogan. Champion gets the shoulder up. Take another look at this impact. All impact. Great strip and hits by Brock Lesnar. But look at Hogan. He's beginning to feel it. Here comes, here comes the Hulkamania, and he 
face of the man who, who's an icon and an army of Hulkamaniacs. Lester, right hand blocked. Hogan, with a right hand to the next big thing. A shot at the Rocket SummerSlam in the balance. Oh, to the face. Hogan's going to finish him here. Good Hogan's going to finish him here. Hogan's going to SummerSlam to finish the run. Lester up as quick as a cat. Oh, no. Thousand and three, Christian wins the Intercontinental Championship, a title change that we never got to see on TV. Booker T was the IC champion at this time, and unfortunately, had suffered a back injury, needed to take immediate time off. They feared that he would be out for quite some time. So, on a house show in Des Moines, Iowa, they had Christian 
actually defeat Booker T to be the new IC champion. Also this week in 2003, I don't know if you would call it a passing of the torch, but I think it was more as a major rub. You might remember not too long ago, I played that promo of John Cena in the cemetery, cutting a promo on The Undertaker, and they show him taking a leak, which is supposed to be on Undertaker's tombstone. Well, this week in 2003, John Cena would have a match against Undertaker, a rematch from the Vengeance pay-per-view. Now, before the match took place, John Cena cut these very choice words about The Undertaker. Yo, 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 Undertaker, Undertaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You beat me in vengeance. That's okay. You didn't stop me. I'm still talking smack and backing it up. I'm the white Muhammad Ali. And you're just jealous because you didn't get your hands on my python. Well, Dead Man Inc. is bankrupt just like Mike Tyson. And I'm going to make this statement. John Cena's amazing. Y'all can't see me. My flow's sicker than AIDS patients. Yeah, I broke your ribs. Now I break your reputation. I'll leave you on the wrong side of a Kobe Bryant violation. That's nice. <laughs> I'm the real main eventer. You just a counterfeit. I'll stick your head right up your ass. You can eat your own. Likely a promo that WWE will not be rehashing anytime soon. Even if they did a John Cena 35 DVD anthology. I don't think that would be on there. But the match did take place that night. Went about 15 minutes long. There was some interference by A-Train in the match. But in the end, John Cena hits the FU onto Undertaker. Pins him clean one Two, three. 2005, CM Punk on his way out of Ring of Honor since he had signed with the WWE. In Chicago, Illinois, I might add, this week in 05, in Chicago, CM Punk loses to Colt Cabana 2-1 in a best two out of three falls match. CM Punk would only appear for Ring of Honor one more time after this match. 2007, TNA had their hard justice pay-per-view in Orlando, Florida. Two things to note coming out. Actually, three. Uh, it was the debut of Adam Pacman Jones of the Tennessee Titans at the time. And drizzling shits. We don't need to repeat it over and over and over again. It should have never taken place, but it was what it was. Also on that card, you had the only match that Andrew Tess Martin ever wrestled for TNA. It was a doomsday chamber of blood match, Abyss, Andrew Martin, and Sting over Christian's coalition, which consisted of AJ Styles, Christian, and Tomko. You just go back, look at the match, look at the screenshots. Andrew Martin was just completely out of control with steroids. TNA allowed a lot of shit to go on back then. The fact that they still didn't want to take a chance with Andrew Tess Martin says a lot. And unfortunately, tragically, we lost him not too long after this. So just really, really sad when you go back and look at it. And main event from that night, Kurt Angle, who was the TNA World Heavyweight Champion and the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. 
He defeated Samoa Joe to win the X Division title and the World Tag Team titles. So at the end of the night, Kurt Angle had all of those belts. On the WWE side, the only really noteworthy thing coming out of 2007, they taped their uh, last edition of Saturday night's main event at that time. Only time it ever aired from Madison Square Garden. That I did not realize until, you know, doing some research. The match I think everybody remembers from that night, you know, especially since Matt Hardy's resurgence from Broken Matt and everything else. Evander Holyfield and Matt Hardy went to a no contest in a boxing match. So there you go. 2010, WWE signs Colby Lopez, who you know better as Seth Rollins. Been that many years already, everyone. On TNA side, they had their ECW reunion show, ECW One Night Stand. Their version of it, it was Hardcore Justice, took place in Orlando, Florida. And I'll be honest, everyone, I ordered it. I watched it in its entirety. I felt the same way I did when I first got the ECW video game. I hoped to have a different feeling after taking this pay-per-view in. And unfortunately, I was kind of left with the same feeling I did with the ECW video game. When the ECW video game came out, I saw the video game magazines that totally ripped this game apart. I kept the faith. I was going to play it. I was going to enjoy it subconsciously. I was going to literally convince myself, not intentionally, but I was going to just, no, the game is awesome, people. And in the end, I realized the game sucked. Let's be honest. The game was not good. It was cool to see all the ECW wrestlers in the video game, but still, it was not good. This pay-per-view, if you go on other websites, across the board, they voted it the worst wrestling event of 2010. I wanted it to succeed. I fucking bought it. I watched it. And yeah, of course, we knew some wrestlers were not going to be able to use their ECW names because WWE owned copyrights. You know, unfortunately, though, because of way the pay-per-view came across and it just did not click, you know, I was in my mind, it was just racing to do a little spoof or satire or do something on the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle show. You've heard me do some ridiculous renditions of themes over the years. You know, when Carmella was on that pay-per-view and it was horrible, I just said to myself, wow, this is a piss break. And something just clicked in my mind thinking, hey, you know, I think Piss Break is the same letters as, uh, you know, Carmella's fabulous theme. And then I was like, P-I-S-S-B-R-E-A-K. Backlash was not that great. I switched to T-N-A. You know, it clicks. When Hulk Hogan got busted saying the N-word, I did the entire song, White American. I am a white American, fight for the whites of every man. Yeah, it was just spoof. Didn't mean it intentional. But when uh, Bulls Mahoney showed up on the screen and they had cojones, you know, I was thinking in my mind like primitive, like me cojone. And I don't know why. I just had like a quick flashback to Two Live Crew. And I was like, you know, that sounds awfully like, you know, me so horny. So what did I do? I took two live crews music that night and I just came up with this garbage. What do we get for $10? I'll give you anything you want. Cheer shots, Bob White, and fire. Everything? Anything. Oh, 
know where the gonzo king kai voice came from i don't know why i just didn't talk in my regular voice me cojones cojones me i don't know why but it just came out a lot of people thought it was funny at the time yes it's the drizzling shits but i just tried to make light on a not very good pay-per-view. The match results from that night, the FBI, which consisted of Tracy Smothers, Little Guido, Guido and Tony Luke, which is Tony Mama Luke, over Kid Cash, Simon Diamond, Johnny Swinger, Two Cold Scorpio over C.W. Anderson, Stevie Richards over P.J. Polacco, Rhino over Al Snow and Brother Runt, Team 3D over Axel Rotten and Cojones, Raven over Tommy Dreamer, RVD over Sabu. Not too many name changes, but just the pay-per-view just did not flow well. And I will always be left with the very end where, you know, the Dudleys were around Dixie. And I think there were a couple other wrestlers as well. And, you know, look, I, I know Dixie tried. I mean, let's be honest. She tried hard. But watching these wrestlers almost like saying, fuck you, Vince. We just did this. Fuck you. You tried to stop us or you thought we could. Fuck you. And Dixie Carter's soaking it in. She's gushing. and She's loving every minute of it. And I don't even think she realized how horrendous that pay-per-view was. It's sad, but true. 2014, Alberto Del Rio is released from WWE. At the time, we didn't know why, but we learned pretty quickly what had happened. Uh, WWE had cited originally unprofessional conduct, altercation with an employee. Ended up happening is some Matarats by the name of Cody Barbieri was in catering and somebody had said something about cleaning dishes and this idiot just turns around and throws the race card around and says that Alberto Del Rio should do it because he's Mexican. So Del Rio found out, slapped him in the fucking mouth, got released because of it. I don't think Del Rio should have been released at the time and this employee should have been the one fired. I mean, look, you don't justify stupid behavior with other stupid behavior. You know, you're not, you can't just slap people around and assault. And, you know, some told me uh, at the time that <laughs> that slap definitely hurt a little bit. Why would you even pick a fight with someone like that? It just, that just was a whole stupid incident that didn't need to happen. And it shouldn't have happened. Speaking of Del Rio, 2015, Brian Cage loses a hair versus hair match against Alberto El Patron. Took place for AAA's Triple Mania event in Mexico. And finally, for this week's episode, 2016, we're two weeks away from SummerSlam at that time. So obviously, we'll be covering it in two weeks. You had Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. They're going to face each other at SummerSlam to determine who will be the first ever Universal Champion. So on this week's edition of Raw Back in 16, you had Seth Rollins cutting a promo on Finn Balor. 
Finn Balor's promo was a little bit more interesting because in it, he gave us a little insight of the demon who would, in fact, be appearing at SummerSlam. Seth Rollins, I think you have some misconceptions about me. What you call disrespect, I call honesty. What you call arrogance, I call confidence. And what you call ignorance, I call that irony. I know your history, Seth. Do you know mine? Do you know about the legends and the myths? Do you know about the Tuha they do not? Who burned their ships once they landed ashore so there would be no chance of retreat? How about my namesake, Finn McCool? He was a giant who threw a piece of Ireland into the sea It made the Isle of Man. He was a hero who stabbed his own face with his own poisonous spear to survive the sleeping song of Aileen the Burner and save the city of Tara. And what about the monsters, Seth? Do you read about them? The Dullahan? What about the Banshees, Seth? Whose wails signal the end. Do you hear them screaming? And what about the worst of them all? The King of the Demons, Balor. Do you know who Balor is, Seth? Do you know what he does? When his evil eye opens, the world ends. First the grass burns, then the seas boil. Then the air catches fire and all of humanity falls. These are not just stories, Seth. They are a source of power. When a warrior enters a great battle, when he knows that his limbs and his flesh are not enough, he can tap into the power of these creatures and become a man greater than himself. He can become a myth. Now I know you have your demon, Seth. But you've never seen a demon like this. At SummerSlam, you'll meet the Demon King. Notable birthdays this week. Those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Happy birthday, Lord Alfred Hayes, Lord James Blears, Penny Banner, Little Brutus, Tony Nero, Nicole Bass, and Big Daddy Lipscomb. Happy birthday to all of you. Jim Crockett Jr. turned 74. Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, 69. Hulk Hogan turned 65. Terry Taylor, 63. Fred Ottman, 62. Bill Alfonso, 61. Brett Sawyer, happy birthday. He turns 58. Ralph Soto, 56. Koji Katow, 55. Savio Vega, 54. Johnny Smith and Dr. Wagner Jr., 53. Asia of WCW, 52. Sable, Chad Fortune, and Eric Angle turn 51. The Headhunters, 1 and 2, turn 50. Johnny Villalobos, 49. Spike Dudley, 48. Ultimo Dragoncito, 46. The Coach, Jonathan Coachman turns 45. Scott Damore, 44. Shockboy, 43. Kid Vicious, 42. Congo Kong, 39. Silas Young, Shayna Baszler, and Stu Bennett turn 38. 
D-Ray 3000 turns 36. Rampage Brown and Lizzie Valentine turn 35. Marty Bell, 30. And happy birthday, Alexa Bliss. She turns 27. Notable debuts this week. Exotic Adrian Street debuts in 1957. All the way back then. Ricky Choshu in 74. Grand Apache in 75. Hulk Hogan debuted in 77, as we discussed earlier. Malia Hosaka in 1987. Ian Rotten in 1990. Alberto El Patron in 2000. And Matt Nick Jackson debuted this week in 2004. And finally, notable deaths this week. Those who passed away this week in wrestling history. And some of these are new. Carl Von Hess and Frederick Von Schacht died at 90. Gladys Gillem at 89. Bronco Lubick and Red Bastine died at 81. Bulldog Jackson at 79. Carl Von Stroheim and Bobby Fields died at age 77. Ed Strangler Lewis at 76. Mike Sharp Sr. at 66. Jim the Anvil Nightheart at 63. Jonathan Boyd at 56. Buddy Austin, 52, Brian Adams, 43, and Lance Cade died this week in history at only 29 years old. And with that, I hope you enjoyed this week in wrestling history. Follow me on Twitter at DonTonyD, the website DonTony.com. Email me, DonTony at DonTony.com, Facebook.com slash Show. And if you like what we do, and you want to help us keep these shows free for everyone, keep the bills paid, keep the lights on, consider signing up on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Don Tony. Very tight-knit family over there. You really can help us tremendously with the expenses of all these shows. Little as $5, you get a lot in return. Yours truly, a mish of Wrestling Soup. We do a hybrid show called Breakfast Soup every other week. It's a combination of Breakfast with Blossie and Wrestling Soup. For everyone who loves Kevin Castle and always asks for a solo show, he has his solo show there as well, Castle Chronicles. Each one of these shows have hundreds of hours of content exclusive for our Patreon audience. We have early releases of this show, ad-free episodes of this DTKC show, Breakfast with Blasi. We also put up retro audio, lost episodes in a minority report, old episodes of the Mass Maniac Show, hotline reports that yours truly did as early back as 1999, and a lot of other little things. I didn't even get into the giveaways, the contests, and the pay-per-view predictions contest that we do. There's a lot going on over there. Sign up. You'd be surprised if everybody signed up, even for just one month, how much that could help us with these expenses. So anyway, I'm out of here. I hope you enjoyed this episode once again. I return in one week with episode 33 of This Week in Wrestling History. Everyone be well. I'll catch you all soon. Ciao. New to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com. I'm enrolling in Medicare soon, and it had me a little confused. Then I found MyHealthPolicy.com. 
With MyHealthPolicy.com, I could go online and compare Medicare Advantage plans from some top-rated national insurers, including $0 monthly premium plans. I could learn about plans in my area and talk with a licensed insurance agent if needed. MyHealthPolicy.com has made doing my research a whole lot easier. My choice, my Medicare, MyHealthPolicy.com. New to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com. 